Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone. Happy Hump Day. Great to have you with us in the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. I'm going to turn my little camera here on our Air, uh, our Air Alliance team studio cam. You can find us on, on the old YouTube. Just uh, type in 101 ESPN STL. 7 o'clock, time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Crimsley is moving her camera as well, looking right into it. So that we can see your face. Yes, that is Good morning, CD. (laughs) CD's is always perfectly in place, but mine is always all over the place. (laughs) Uh Uh, I think they're automatic. Matthew Rocky is here. Matthew, aren't these cameras theoretically supposed to be automatic? They're supposed to be, but but like what you do is you go in there and you set a point where it's supposed to go to, Mm -hmm. and they set the points for each individual host, and based on where you guys usually sit. And I just think they set the point for Brooke wrong. Got it. Brooke's the only one who sits there. Okay. Jamie, it goes Jamie, all sits, the way. Jamie, Jamie sits, sits here, there. I believe. I think Brooke's the only one who sits there. I know Jamie sits here um, because this headset is like screaming through. Yeah, every yeah, those, Brooke's, those the, yeah, Brooke's the only one who sits in that spot. So I think they just Love pinned her, her, her where she, her head usually is. I think she's moved over to the her left a little bit to not be behind the computer screen. And we now face. have to accompli- uh, <laughs> accommodate that with the camera. Well, for, I don't know what they do, but for some reason the camera is always pointed at the ceiling. This one, either way. So I was wondering if somebody was brought. Casting from the ceiling for that a while. Would, now that would be a hell of a show. Now that that might it's actually, like, yeah, if I can get like a harness, like something like to hold me up, pin me to the ceiling, I would do that. You that would, would do that and look down the entire show, be like would a be, pink concert. Yeah, I was gonna say crazy. that. You just do flips around everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if this, I don't know if this can uh, stable the, enough to hold me up there. The Blues are back in action tomorrow <laughs> night. They take on Arizona after falling to the Jets last night at Enterprise Center. We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. We're gonna talk to our buddy Jamie Rivers and, and ask him about why he turns his, his headphones up so high uh, at eight fifteen. Katie Wu has a new piece up at the Athletic. We're gonna talk about a lot going on here on this edition of the opening drive on 101 ESPN. But let's start with the Blues 5-2 loss to Winnipeg last night at Enterprise Center. Blues coming off of a two-game winning streak. Mark Scheifele and Neil Pionk score for Winnipeg. But before the first period was out, our guy gets the opening drive bump again. Blues battle for it. Thomas picks it up. Thomas shoots, score! There's the answer, Joe Robert Thomas. Team leading fifth of the year. 2-1 score. 305 to go, period number one. Hope you enjoyed that. Kyle Connor scoring in a bad second period for the Blues. Uh, Coach Craig Bruby lamented that second period. Connor with another Cole Perfetti scoring late for the Jets uh, surrounded ar- uh, around a Braden Shen tally for the Blues. 5 2 was the final. And Blues play Winnipeg a lot. They're in the same division. They see a lot of the Jets. And uh, you would think that with that familiarity, the Blues would have somewhat of a game plan to beat Winnipeg. Coach Craig Bruby, does that make it a little bit more frustrating? Well, we talked about it, and I thought we handled it well in the first period, and we did a good job. But again, it boils down to 60 minutes against this team, and we just were not, we didn't give, we didn't have the 60 minutes tonight again. 
Okay, I think we can say 60 minutes of effort is what he's talking about. He talked multiple times about the lack of performance in the second period. So, Kerry Davis. Yes, sir. Oh, You're- no! We suck again! Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, you are a professional athlete. You were a very proud athlete yes. at the high school, college, and professional levels. And even in this endeavor, which you are performing at a high level, you are very competitive. Have you ever played with an athlete that, for whatever reason, wouldn't provide 60 minutes of effort? Because when Craig Ruby says we didn't get a full 60 minutes, we, I think, can surmise that he would add on of effort. Like yeah. there, why would a person in professional sports not be trying hard to win all the time? Well, I don't know that they're not trying hard to win. I just don't know that they are able to to be consistent. And that's the one thing that we've talked about. You know, when you have the wins and then you have the loss and you win and you lose and, and you're not able to figure it out every single night. I don't know what that is. I, I don't know how. I don't know if that's a something internally that they have to figure out, something that they have to discuss. But it shouldn't be hard to give. I mean, what the hell else are you doing? What's the one thing you can control, right? <laughs> what, is, what, right. <laughs> what the hell else you got going on? Yeah. I, but you're saving it for. I mean, this is this is your job. This is what you do for a living. This is how you make your living. So for me, it just feels like guys are not doing it consistently enough. Now, I, I will give them credit because some things have gotten better. We're still waiting on the power play to come mm-hmm. along. We, we might be waiting for a while for that. Mm-hmm. But guys took some shots last night. They've taken shots the last couple of games. That first period was really good. I liked that they really started good. the fourth line to start the game, mm-hmm. and they came out the box with, with just Firing. fire and energy and just going after guys. But then you have Bucinavich missing a wide-open opportunity, loses the puck. I think Toro had an extra pass where he was right in front of the net, probably should have taken a shot. Those things, you can you can fix those things. The things that, that you really need to dial in on and, and should never be a question is your effort and your energy. Yeah, I thought it was a good first period where you're carrying over some of that momentum of this weekend. That's what I wanted to see is could they build off of this weekend because finally you're having a two-game winning streak going on. Can we make it three? Because then you're taken a little bit more seriously. So that momentum was there in the first period. And then they just really backed off. It felt like in the second period they really lost their neutral zone four check, and that was the difference Mm -hmm. there. And they were just playing on their heels the rest of the time. Robert Thomas love that he is scoring more but have you guys noticed that Pavel Buchnevich when it comes to scoring this season and that is Robert Thomas's winger there he has one goal and two assists so far so does it come with Robert Thomas his shooting does it come at the expense of his winger Pavel Buchnevich really being able to score more but at the end of the day it does come down to the effort level what you guys are talking about from all the guys they are all playmakers at the end of the day it still feels like we're working on that top six chemistry amongst those guys and back in the day and I know it's unfair to compare anybody to Brett Hull but Brett Hull would mope a little bit when the puck wasn't going in Mm -hmm. for him he would get frustrated and Buchnevich was asked last night if uh, with the inability to get the biscuit in the basket if there's a little bit of frustration on his part does he get frustrated by the fact that okay he's getting these opportunities he's got an open net for gosh sakes and he can't get the puck past the goaler I try to be positive but it's uh, hard to be positive when you play like like that so different expectation from for me I try to work hard you know try help him but it's not enough right now I gotta be better 
Hopefully, hopefully the Blues will be able to get things going, and it'll be just an avalanche of goals, not a Colorado avalanche, <laughs> just an avalanche of goals for the Blues who take on the Coyotes tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame, here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, meanwhile, there is news from the National Football League, news from Brooks Titans head coach Mike Vrabel. There is. It's, He's been I, keeping I, I, us Will's going to be our quarterback. <laughs> We're going to go with Will. We think that's the best opportunity for our football team right now. And, um, you know, see where he's at. Just look, looking for something. And, and it was able, you know, again, I think that there's, there's, there's clearly something there. You know, we want to be able to continue to, to, to work with them and, and progress and develop and win. And, and that's how you get better. Clearly something there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that needs to be your starting quarterback. I've been waiting for Vrabel to say this, and so have a lot of Tennessee Titans fans, because it seems like just the perception, right, is that maybe Vrabel isn't too high on Will Levis. He hasn't had necessarily all the nicest things in the world to say to him. That was probably the nicest thing that he has said thus <laughs> far about Will Levis, <laughs> is that there. there is something there. there. And it doesn't take away anything that Ryan Tannehill did for this organization. Titans fans should be very grateful for everything that Ryan Tannehill has done for the Titans over the years. And also with helping Will Levis now, I think he will be a great mentor for him. This is the right decision for the Titans moving forward because I've told you guys the AFC South the way that things are panning out you have a lot of young quarterbacks they're already taking the helm and I was worried about the Titans getting behind because you're wondering okay are they finally going to get a pick right here with a young starting quarterback that they can really build around you look at CJ Stroud what is going on with him and the Texans you look at Trevor Lawrence his progression over the years with the Jaguars and now it looks like you can have Will Levis start to take things over so that the Titans aren't left behind because why while Ryan Tannehill helped the Titans over the years, he's not the answer moving forward, and it should be Will Levis. I, I mean, it's a good call for them. I mean, I, I think Ryan Tannehill probably reached his ceiling. That was the the, the best he was going to give you. He played out of his mind when he got there, and people were like, oh, this guy can actually play. They didn't mm-hmm. think he was going to be a good quarterback. He he got them to the number one seed in the division. Uh, I mean, in, in, in the AFC, and unfortunately, they lost. But they... He did a great job, but he did as much as he could do, and now exactly. it's time to move on. And hopefully, uh, for Tennessee Titan fans out there, Will Levis can be the answer because they are searching for an answer. And as you said, that that division does have some really good quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, they're playing Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. When he ever gets back healthy, um, they have a really good division of quarterbacks. So it's going to be exciting to see all of those young guys play over the next few years. Yeah. And f- finally, and we'll talk about this later on in the hour uh, Katie Wu writing in The Athletic that the Cardinals are essentially, John Mozeliak is essentially saying, be patient. Those words didn't actually come out of his mouth. They have in the past, and it kind of looks like that's what they're saying. The reality is we do feel like we have the resources to improve this team. Where our payroll ends up, there are a lot of different factors that go into that. Ownership has been very supportive of what we're trying to do when it comes to investing in players and how we're trying to compete for next year. Bill and his ownership group definitely want to get us back on the winning path. Well, of course, they've been supportive in what they're trying to do when it comes to investing in players they signed uh, Andrew Miller and they signed Brett Cecil and they signed uh, <laughs> Dexter Fowler and they signed Matt Carpenter to an extension and they, they have they have uh, they've done a lot of they've been very supportive. He, he, Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras, eighty-seven and a half million dollars. Albert Pujols. 
Well, yeah, him, they didn't spend a lot. Two and a half million. There you go. Yeah, the two and a half million for Albert and the five million for Corey Dickerson. <laughs> One of these things is not like, like the, the other. other. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It, so. it makes me feel like that we are keeping the same approach as we have in mm-hmm. recent off seasons. Oh, and it's, everything's gone so well, Brooke. Why not? Uh, 91 losses last season, Randy. It just feels like it. It feels like they're taking the same approach. And my worry is, is that they're letting the fear of past free agency mistakes lead them in some of their decisions. And maybe they go out and they make a big trade and that's what they do here. You do also have to, if you are going to do that, then you also don't have to worry about or think about what has happened in the past. I think that that does come into account, of course, because it's going to be painful losing a position player. But if you say, this is how we're approaching free agency that I'm looking like, then it looks like you're going to have to go make a big splash via trade, which means parting with a position player. I was listening to Danny Mac on the fast lane yesterday, and he was talking about, you know, Nolan Gorman being one of those guys. But if Nolan Gorman is dealing with back issues, which he has dealt with. How long is he there? About a week back. Oh, no. Uh, and, And so Danny was saying, you know, Every other team pays attention to that, too. Mm-hmm. That's something that is a concern. Yeah, he's a power power hitter from the left-handed side, but if he's going to be injured, why? He's going to be a little bit cautious. Uh, teams are going to be a little bit cautious in deciding whether or not to trade for him. So that brings down your, your I guess, what teams would want as well. So it, it's, it's going to be an intriguing offseason to see how all of this pans out. And we'll touch on this coming up after Ask Uncle Randy, but the thing that, that gets me is that the Cubs are being really proactive here with their move. They won 83 games, and they decided, you know what, we can get the best manager. So you're here in the division, you've got a, a franchise that's being, being really proactive, and the Cardinals appear at the moment, at least, to be being reactive. We'll talk about that coming up at 7.30, but coming up next, Next, it is almost wintertime, although it doesn't feel like it outside. No, I have shorts on. No. But it's Ask Uncle Randy time because it's hump day. Matthew uh, is, what are you laughing we, at? We both we got we shorts on. I'm so happy. It's going to be 81 I degrees in so November. I, I never trust the HVAC in this room. That's why. <laughs> oh, that, it always my, changes. I, I, I have yeah, a sweater got, on. Got the hoodie, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You got a hoodie on. So, Brooke, you'll learn. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm figuring out. Yeah. I, I was dressed for warm weather today. Uh-huh. You're probably no going to be freezing yeah. by 8.30. Yeah. So, anyway, that's where <laughs> yeah. the weather is. And we, we've got the holidays. Heck, we're only a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving, and then the holidays are here. That's right. Two weeks from tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. It's sneaking up on yeah, us. Yeah, 9th uh, tomorrow, 16th, 23rd. Two weeks from tomorrow is Thanksgiving, kids. So, here we are. If you have family issues, if you have food issues... Like, do you like turkey? What what part of the turkey do you like? Hey, if you have cardinal issues, and all of us do, text in 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. Ask Uncle Randy next for you on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 314-399-9646. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. I've been around, you know. It's time for Ask Uncle Randy on the opening drive. One of our favorite segments of the week. You need to text in if you would like an answer. 314-399-9646-314-399. Yo! Oh, by the way, that should be saved in your phone by now. You should just save it. Uh, you can just text us. Say opening drive or, or drive or brook or whatever. 
You can rookie. say things other than the rookie. <laughs> rookie. I used to get called Brookie a lot. And then I met a girl named Brookie. Her name was actually spelled Brookie. Brookie. Mm. With a K-I-E. Y. Oh, what? With okay. a Y. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Oh, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on somebody calling you Brookie? Oh, I don't care. Okay. You know, JR calls me Brookie all the time. Okay. Okay, good. He well, does. If he does. Yeah. No. How can you be unhappy with anything JR does, though? I, exactly. If he says the it, then I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm good. good. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Matthew, what do you got for us here? Dear Uncle Randy, having a problem choosing my best man, I have it narrowed down to two. Mm. One I've known my entire life and another who I'm a little closer to now. Would love your take. I would go with the one that you're you're closer to now. Now, here's the thing. They're both going to wind up being in your wedding. And I get that you have somebody who is a lifelong friend, but I would anticipate that now that you're at the age of being married, that you're probably going to remain closer to the friend that you're closer to now than you are to your lifelong friend. As long as you don't leave your lifelong friend out of the mix, I would go with the person that you're closest to now. That would be my my advice. advice. I I went through this recently with my bridesmaids and picking out my bridesmaids. So I had I have a group of friends that we've been best friends since middle school. Obviously, they're all back in Tennessee. And so I was like, okay, who do I? There's one friend in that friend group that we've been so close. But then I also made a friend here in St. Louis, and she was here during the relationship, seeing David and I kind of more firsthand. So I went with her just because she was here more for the David relationship. But I also made sure all of them know that it wasn't like this friend is better than the other. (laughs) Yeah. They're all special. So we're all on the same page here. You agree, CD? I agree. Whatever makes you happy, man. Oh, Randy, first time dad here. My twins are six weeks old. Good luck. When does the sleep get better slash do you have any sleep advice? Okay, here's (laughs) the thing. Uh, Number one, my friends that have had twins, the ones that have twins as their first kids inevitably say it's so much easier than if it's your second, second and third kids or third and fourth kids. If your twins come later, because all you know is twins when you when you start with twins Uh, sleep, you hope. Through three months, three, and he said six weeks is uh, yeah. where they are now. Three months is kind of the magic uh, spot. That's a sweet spot for kids starting to sleep through the night. I was lucky because I was working at night, so I would come home and feed the the kids, uh, and I, I just bottle fed them. So it was easy for me. You just aren't going to get sleep. I think that's something that you have to come to grips with. CD, you know. It's got, yeah, that's that's part of life. Yeah. Just deal with it and get it when you can. Like yeah. when the baby sleeps, if you're you sleep. a dad, you go to sleep. You don't find time to find, oh, I'm going to scroll the internet because I haven't had it to know. <laughs> Take your butt no. to sleep. Get a nap. 30 minutes, 45, an hour. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And when it, so one of the things scary. you can do... Uh, to kind of pass the time because a baby if, if you're feeding the baby if, if your wife is breastfeeding she'll be taken care of but if you're bottle feeding a baby uh, if there's a movie that you haven't seen in a long time or you want to see just click it on it and watch that movie I would come home and watch sports movies with Patrick when he was like six weeks old <laughs> question what is harder newborn or toddler stage Newborn, newborn, because of the sleep factor, and because they can't talk. Yeah, toddlers are fun. They can't they, like toddlers are they? They just mischievous. They get into stuff. They don't know any better. Hey, sit down. Okay, yeah. daddy. But yeah. the, the newborns, I man, listen. My my oldest daughter, 
literally cried from like 6 p.m. to 5 a.m. one oh. day. Call it, baby? I, I, by, by four, I was crying with her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why, do we, why do we put him in a car? Why do we Why do we put him in a baby seat to try to get him to shut up? It, it, it works. It does. It works. I wonder who thought of that. <laughs> Uncle Randy, why would the Jets not go after Tannehill to warm the seat for Rodgers? Well, because the trade deadline has passed. Oh. And uh, so there's not the opportunity to get him. And the timing just didn't work out because yeah. my guess is that the the Titans had not determined that Ryan Tannehill wasn't their guy anymore last week. or Yeah, it was last week when yeah. the trade deadline hit. And the Jets felt like Zach Wilson may have been their guy. Yeah, but he Uh-oh. is not. Uncle, Uncle Randy, do you feel guilty that the entire Cardinals organization and the Blues players have taken your advice on never giving 100 percent effort? Oh, <laughs> no. this is, yeah, now, I, we, now we're wow. getting to the rubber has met the I, road. I kind of do. We have figured I it out. Do. Okay, <laughs> because here's the thing. My thing about not giving 100 percent is number one. You don't want to develop an expectation because if you try hard, you develop an expectation, and then all of a sudden that's what's expected. Here's the thing with this particular Blues team is we haven't, well, maybe in the, these last couple of games we did see. We, we, we've seen a complete game, and the mistake they made was building an expectation that they could actually do it. Yep. So, yes, I apologize because they do all this, and I know. And, it. yeah, they they understand uh, that my approach to life, while enjoyable, is probably not best for the people that are spending hundreds of dollars on tickets. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, we were talking. I mean, you, you go watch, you spend hundreds of dollars, and, and they play a third of the game. Mm-hmm. That, that's a bit frustrating. Yeah. Like with the, they, I mean, obviously, they're playing the entire game, but... The effort and energy you need to see for a full 60 minutes is uh, is kind of disappearing. But I will not back away from my stated belief that one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is to provide management the ammunition to say, you can do better. Randy, there there are kids listening. Some of those kids might be at Hazelwood Central. It's not... Believing that you don't have to give full effort. I was. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> and they'll throw it right back I, at you. I was. <laughs> I was cleaning out my backpack this morning and ran across that 1.6 transcript. <laughs> you don't have to. You know what? Because if you have a 1.6 GPA, you have room to grow. If you have like a 4.4, 4.5, you can't go anywhere. What are you gonna do? You're, you're stuck. You, you, you've reached the pinnacle. Oh, you aren't going dude. anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, so the Cardinals should just come out and say, "We'll finish last." Well, you don't have to say no. You don't oh, have to okay. say you'll, you'll finish last. All you have to do is say, we're doing the best we can. And then then people are pleasantly surprised when something good happens. No, because I the like, Blues said they were going to finish, try for third, and no one's excited about that. But if, if they finish first, they'll be really excited. <laughs> so, I, like, I like Randy's okay. version of it. Shoot for the moon so you can land among the stars where you will eventually burn out. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I like Randy. It's, it's okay. a different style, but I like it. <laughs> Uncle Randy, what is the best non-traditional side dish you've ever served on Thanksgiving? Ooh, this is good. Okay, let's start with this. Is mac and cheese a traditional Thanksgiving yes. side dish? Okay, yes. Two Americas Cup. Now, you can get fancy no. with the mac and cheese and try to do something no. a little different. Well, I do because I do the salt and smoke mac and cheese, which Ooh. is absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. Hard to beat. Okay, so uh, I am a pretty, tr- pretty traditional Thanksgivinger. I, I would probably go, and I don't know if it's a side as much as it is an appetizer, but mozzarella sticks. Whoa! Uh, mozzarella sticks before mozzarella sticks on Thanksgiving. Wow. That's, that's like intriguing. I love that. That's <laughs> damn. That's I can't tell if you're surprised or I'm, bothered. I'm, 
I'm intrigued. Intrigued. Intrigued is the <laughs> word. Delightfully intrigued. Randy, there you go. Okay, I good. I would chew into some mozzarella sticks on Thanksgiving. Right you know what it is? They have the right color palette. The color palette Just to get me started. That, that could be like your yeah. pregame before, obviously, yeah. the food gets ready. You're watching the first, first mm-hmm. few minutes of the game. Now, I have a friend who eats a breakfast burrito, and breakfast burritos are delicious, all right? But has been eating breakfast burritos literally for breakfast every day. And for me, the breakfast burrito is more of a special kind of thing. And that's uh, another uh, tradition that I have on Thanksgiving is the breakfast burrito, Mm. uh, which is a great thing to have. I was working at KCLC, Lindenwood University, the Lindenwood University, doing the morning show on Thanksgiving. And I hadn't had breakfast. And the only thing open on Thanksgiving morning was an old restaurant. You guys know Del Taco, right? Well, here, Noggles was awesome, and they were purchased by Del Taco, and Noggles had this macho meat burrito. Mm, it was good. So you would and have a burrito in the morning and have Thanksgiving? Burrito? Well, it was like Meal? 5 in the morning. Okay. So it was a 24-hour place. So yeah, I had a breakfast burrito uh, while I was doing radio at uh, at Linda Woods KCLC, and then, yeah, I had dinner 2, 3, 4 in the afternoon. But yeah, so that's where my breakfast burrito tradition began, was doing early morning radio. Very uh, nice. new rule. We're not allowed to talk about food during Ask Okay. Are you it's hungry? Not, yeah. I, I, all I want right now in the world is a big plate of hash browns. Mm. And mozzarella all, sticks? I wouldn't mind a mozzarella stick either, mm, Brooke. Sonic really mozzarella sticks. Anybody wants, yeah, I mean, First call. Watch is right across the street if anyone wants to deliver <laughs> to the so opening nice. drive. <laughs> Be Randy. careful of what you wish. <laughs> Dear Uncle Randy, we don't beg for food. That's still, we, can't, we can't fall into that stereotype. We can't step into that old. Carrie, come on. Dear Uncle Randy, I have a work colleague who expressed romantic feelings for me, and I don't feel the same way after one date. How do I express to her that I like her as a person, but not romantically? I think you just need to rip the Band-Aid off and say, hey, I really like you, but I I don't feel it. I don't know if you say uh, there weren't any sparks, but I, I, I think you just you need to let he or she down gently because you do have to work together. What are your your rules of engagement as it pertains to workplace dating or dating someone? Say you live in an apartment complex. Is, is that like <laughs> against oh. the rules? I think uh, I think the best it's kind of idea dangerous. would be to avoid the I, work I, I, romance. Uh, apart, I never really thought of the apartment. You know, I've never um, lived in an apartment. Date anybody. That lives in your apartment. That's a great complex. point. I yeah, because about that. then they can watch you. Don't flirt over laundry, is what you're saying. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. it. I'm just, I, you know. That's a smart move, CD. They I, know where I, you I live. never even thought of that. They know yeah. where you live. Yeah. 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 That's concerning. I, yeah. I would say to that guy, just say, you know, look, I kind of thought about it a little bit more. I don't want to get involved with any workplace romance or something like that. Just def- defer it back to work so you don't have to say I'm not interested in you where it makes it really awkward and tense in the workplace. You could just say, thought about it more. I just don't think that it's good to have a relationship that's in the workplace. We had a guy yeah, here find a new job. Uh, who... Uh, <laughs> Who, you just yeah. leave and then never talk to her ever again. He, That's a good way to do it. Ultimate ghosting. <laughs> we had a guy here who uh, spent an evening with a young lady uh, back at his place, and he felt like this guy. Nah, not much there. Uh, comes home like a week later on a Friday, no. <laughs> and she's in his bed. No. Uh, she she told the doorman at the apartment that, uh, yeah, he's my boyfriend. Can you let me in? Oh, and he did. Oh my god! Mm, and then uh, she like ran right past the doorman and jumped on the bed. And so by the time this guy uh, got there, she was 
she was there. It was kind of weird. And actually, we had her picture up <laughs> in our receptionist area. Don't let her into the building. Oh, my. What? Yeah. Wow. We were being stalked. Wow. That's uh, scary. Yeah, we did a show together, me and that guy. <laughs> I have some stories, too. Maybe I'll reveal one day. Uh, okay, good. We can make There's... that a segment. <laughs> <laughs> horror dating horror stories. So, uh, yeah, so be careful of the uh, the workplace romance because you <laughs> never know when you're going to come home to a boiling bunny. <laughs> oh. Oh, my. Oh, have you not, not seen Fatal Attraction? Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, Glenn Close is brilliant. Glenn Close was the best actress because I loved her so much in The Natural and feared her so much in um, in uh, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, just as an aside, Barbara Hershey shot Roy Hobbs, spoiler alert, in The Natural. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. So Barbara Hershey was with Bette Midler in Beaches, okay? I mm-hmm. love Roy Hobbs, played by Robert Redford. And so I was rooting for Barbara Hershey in Beaches to die. Oh. So that's how good of an actress she is. Hmm. She elicited an emotional response from me. <laughs> Can I say, as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid, no twist in a movie confused me more than Roy Hobbs getting shot by Femme Fatale. Like, I, it, we, like, at, I yep. remember as a kid being like, I, I, I was into this like, movie. That happens, and I go, I, I'm, I have no idea what's happening. Well, uh, as Iris said to him, you were so young. <laughs> Ah, but I should have seen it coming. <laughs> oh, man. How are you supposed to see that coming? Greatest movie of all time. <laughs> coming up next year on 101 ESPN, it looks like the Cubs are really trying. Do the Cardinals need to take a cue from the Cubs? It's next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, evergreen, and Azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills. So celebrate summer with a new big green egg, Weber gas, or charcoal grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Major League Baseball's offseason is very young, but we have already perhaps had the most stunning move of the offseason with the Cubs replacing David Ross, who on October 2nd, they said was our guy. Tom Ricketts, the owner, said Rossi is our guy. And they determined, well, there's a better guy out there. And so Jed Hoyer, the general manager, the president of baseball operations, made a deal five years, $40 million for Craig Council. And Hoyer said yesterday at the general manager's meetings, he said, in regards to firing Ross and replacing him with uh, with Craig Council, he said, quote, my job is to figure out how to win as many games as we can in the short term and the long term. And there was nothing about this move that I felt like didn't meet that criteria. Guys, I get the sense that 
there is a level of urgency on the part of the Cubs that doesn't exist in most Major League Baseball outposts, and certainly the one that we're close to here in St. Louis, they say, be patient. It doesn't seem to me that the Cubs are telling their fans, be patient. No. Does it almost seem like maybe they looked at the Rangers and saw the value of bringing in a manager with experience and also having the right coaching staff around him, but also bringing Craig Council, knowing what he would be able to do, and you are hyping him up in that way, Maybe they saw that that benefited the Rangers, where you get a World Series victory out of it? I think that's a possibility, but it seems like Hoyer was thinking about this in October, Mm -hmm. but thought that Council was going to resign with Milwaukee. Didn't think he'd have a chance at the guy. And this just came up. Right. That free agent winds up being really a valuable free agent. And here's what Hoyer had to say about having a guy like Craig Council in your employ. You know, from afar, he's always someone I've admired so much. I mean, going back to 2017, um, his teams every single year uh, overachieved. Uh, I love the style of baseball they played. And um, it felt from afar like there was, there was no weakness as a manager. Uh, he was good in the clubhouse and well-respected. He managed the game incredibly well. He handled the media very well. So all those things I've sort of from afar always really admired and um you know, I, I always kind of use the uh, the Bum Phillips um, quote about Bear Bryant, which is, you know, he would take his and beat yours and yours and beat his. Mm-hmm. He just felt like he was really good at figuring out how to get the most out of his teams. So, you know, when he became a free agent and um, there was a possibility, certainly something you, know, you had to uh, think about because uh, it's pretty rare for a guy that's at the top of that um, that list to ever become available. And uh, let me add one quick thing to what he said, because... This is with all respect to Ali Marmol and his staff, who don't have much experience. But I don't think anybody in baseball is saying that Ali and his staff will take his and beat yours or take yours and beat his. I, I, yes, I And I don't, the Cubs clearly didn't point. feel that way about David Ross. So my question would be, I mean, obviously, great move for the Cubs. It, it changes the division. If you're the Milwaukee Brewers or if you're a Milwaukee Brewer fan, what the hell are you thinking right now? Like you, in the Angry. last couple of years, you let Josh Hader walk, which mm-hmm. was they had what they called the Hader hangover when he left, when he was traded. You don't do anything with Craig Council. You let him leave. Not only leave, but leave to your division, one of your division rivals after winning the NL Central. I, that's That has to be I, – I mean, I would love to hear some, some Milwaukee Brewer fans. We complain a lot here. But if if we allowed our manager that had just won the division, well, I mean, we fired one, but <laughs> <laughs> if you just didn't resign them, okay. The Brewers, I got you. I feel you. Sorry. Now, here's the thing, though. I want you both to react to this line from Council. Spoke, spoke to the Milwaukee Journal, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And this is a line that he had. He said, I think highly of Matt Arnold, their general manager. I think highly of David Stearns, their former Pobo. I think highly of Mark Adonacio. Mark was incredibly graceful on our last phone call together. I don't have any hard feelings. This is the last thing he said. Tell me what you take out of this. They had to make a decision, and I had to make a decision. So he says the Brewers had to make a decision. It's Mm -hmm. business. Do you think that he gave them a right of first refusal in so many words. And I wonder if he came to the Brewers and said, look, the Cubs are offering $8 million, $40 million over five. Do you want to go there? 
And I, did they? It, that's what I took out of it. That that was I the decision think, they had to make. I think it was. It could have meant that they had to make a decision. They had an opportunity to make the the, the decision first, mm-hmm. and they didn't. And when the Cubs came knocking, and they offered, well, I, we don't need to go back to the table because if you all wanted me that badly, you would have let me. You would have signed me to the contract before anyone else had an opportunity to. And he was being pursued by other places. It seemed like a lot of people were going after him. So this begs the question, and we're getting a lot of texts in coming about this. This is from the 314. So what does Craig Council won to make him the messiah of managers? He never won one as a player and has never won anything as a manager. I would say that he has. And if we just go back to this offseason or the last four full National League seasons, last four full National League seasons, not counting the COVID year, the National League's lowest seeded playoff team, this is the randomness of baseball, has played in the World Series. And what Council has done is consistently put his team in the playoffs with what pretty much everybody agrees is as not as talented a team and put them in position to take advantage of that randomness. His teams have been in the playoffs in five of the last six seasons. You can't make the World Series unless you're in the playoffs. And that's what Council has been able to do. Now, there's also been a strong belief that they are an analytically driven team in Milwaukee. And it'll be interesting to see now that he is the guy and is going to be managing evidently on his own. You don't pay somebody $8 million to have a 2 o'clock meeting and, <laughs> and go paint by numbers. It'll be interesting to see if he was a product of the Brewers system. But what makes him attractive is that he has taken less talented teams and taken them to the playoffs and given them an opportunity. Nobody thought that the Diamondbacks were going to be in the World Series this year. Nobody thought that the Phillies were going to be in the World Series last year. Not many thought the Braves were going to be in the World Series the year before that. Not many thought the Nationals would be in the World Series the year they wanted in 2019. So that's what the Cubs are banking on, is him being able to win the marathon and then the sprint taking over. What does this mean for the Cardinals? If all of the teams in your division are trying to get better or working to get better, where do we land? Are, 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 can can this city sustain another finishing fifth in the in the NL Central? No. Twenty games under five hundred. No. no, it's not. It's not possible. And what they need to do is give Ollie and his staff a team that is kind of manager proof and and coach proof because I think we saw last year very few players on the Cardinals got better and ascended. So what you need to do is bring in players that are established and solid and really good and then Ollie's got the plan that they give him before games and then you just let him carry out that plan. But I think to succeed you need to give him the right tools. It's really unfair to a manager to expect him to do what Craig Council has done and not give, uh, if he doesn't have that experience, not give him the tools. And just to circle back, one with this texter, um, they mentioned that he wasn't a World Series champion. He's mm-hmm. a two-time World Series champ. I didn't say that. That was the texter that mm-hmm. said that. But just to clarify, the other thing, bringing back up the Rangers, and I'm sure some people are tired of hearing this, but to your point, Randy, is just letting the manager manage because that is the biggest thing. And whenever I hear that quote where they're talking about Craig Council and what he's going to be able to do with the Cubs organization, it 100% sounds like Craig Council is going to be allowed to lead this organization in the way that he wants. And they trust his guidance. I think that that should be a lesson, not only for the Cardinals, but for all the other teams in the league. And if you look at this year in the postseason, let's just look at the 
uh, the two div- uh, division series or the uh, championship series. You had Bochi against Dusty, experience versus experience. You had uh, Rob Thompson, heavily experienced, and Tori Lavolo, who has been managing for a few years, but spent years spent years in Boston as one of the most sought after coaches in the sport. And you had several other people that were in the playoffs. Brian Snicker has been a manager or coach for forty years in the Braves organization. Uh, you had counsel with the Brewers, who has been around the block. You have had multiple people with a lot of experience. And now that a guy gets $40 million, I wonder if the manager is coming back into vogue because of what you said, Brooke, because veteran guys are are doing it. I wonder if the manager is being brought back into baseball. That's one thing that I was wondering as well. When you start to see the success that teams are having, Dusty Baker last year, you talked about Bruce Bochy this year, our teams are our managers going to say, hell, the hell with those analytics, man. You got to let me do my job. And if you want somebody that is just going to go down the list, you got to go find somebody else. And and it, that's a tough position to be put in when you are a, a younger manager mm-hmm. getting your foot in the game, trying to, you know, get a career, start a career in that regard. Because, Especially with veteran players, right? Exactly. Because you are you, you're you're. You got to get the job. It's only it's a limited number of them, but those veteran guys, those guys that have been around, that understand what it takes to win, you're not going to force analytics on them, and then you're going to have the situation where you're bumping heads, and then you have to have philosophical differences and remove a guy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Uh, and by the way, it seems like he is going going to be the Padres' next manager. Guilty? Yeah. Good, good, for good for him. Go, Coming Wayne. up on 101 ESPN, we've got to take it or leave it. Get your text in. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. To you only next time, 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. I want to say something. Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in test 314-399-9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Brooke, Carrie, Matthew, and Randy. Brooke, you mentioned that it looks like Mike Schilt is going to get the Padres job. Take it or leave it. Padres left fielder Tyler O'Neill is an all-star in 2024. Oh, man. Don't you Don't. They trade Juan Soto to the Yankees, get Tyler O'Neill to play left. <laughs> I'm going to take it. Gary. I'm going to take it. I am too. That would be the wildest thing on earth. I'm going to take it. <laughs> how... how <laughs> Schilt is the manager there, mm-hmm. let's say it. And and they perform extremely well. How does that look for uh, Jose Locke here? <laughs> Not great. Okay. So that goes into my take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals finish in last place again in the division. <laughs> John Mozeliak does not see 2025. I'm going to take that. Ooh. Of his own choosing, by the okay. way. I'm going to take it because you have to at that point. You can't have this. I, I'm just so worried. I'm trying not to get too 
freaked out by the offseason, but it really does seem like that they believe that this offseason was a one-off or the season yeah. was a one-off, and that's what it feels like with their approach this offseason. And maybe I should clarify what I mean. He's not going to make it as the Pobo in 2025. But did you guys hear about Brian Cashman and how he was talking to media members yesterday? Take it or leave it. I guess there's a worse way that you could handle media availabilities. I'll take that. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. I like my guys straight, just straightforward. Tell it like it is. Say what it is. That is what I want for my jeans, my <laughs> pobos, and my people in upper management. Tell me, tell me the truth. Um, not great. Don't lie yeah, to me. He's, he had one just as. How was your season? Yeah, Brian Cashman saying, uh, we have the smallest analytics department in the <laughs> American League. What are talking about? Yeah. Because the question was being asked if they're being driven by analytics. And so he got very amped up with that question and said, well, we have the smallest analytics department out there, essentially. I was like, I don't know if that makes anybody feel better. In that situation, he also Something said, be different. <laughs> um, I'm proud of our effing people, all the different stuff. There was a lot of cursing. He I, I was all guy. over the place. I want him to represent me. Give me a fire, fury, <laughs> straight to the point. The hell out of my face. What the hell do you know? <laughs> uh, Matthew, what, what do you got on the text line? Take it or leave it. Scott Perunovich is not going to get better sitting in a press box. Take it. I'll take that. Oh, I'm going to take at it. At least at hockey. It can get better in other facets practice, of life. Practice and play by play. <laughs> oh. Other facets of life. Yeah. I would like is, to see is, it. Is, get really good at whittling. Is Scott Perunovich the, the answer for the lack of energy, though? Uh, he can help with the power play, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. If you're looking for something to change you with the power play, then it's one play, of 28. The one for 28, baby. That does help. Called it. You're right. You did call it. Now, <laughs> JR, I know you're listening. There were ones for 28, baby. He, he did Called say it. it. Yep, yep, you did. I don't know if I would want to be proud of that. We He's, want that we to end. We said it was foreshadowing. Man, I'm, I don't play for the team. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> take it or leave it. It's very important to have a hobby after retirement because it can extend your life. Oh, I'll take that. Take it. Okay, yeah, I'll take that. I need that. to get hobbies that aren't video games. What? Nothing wrong with video games. There's nothing wrong with it, but I need like actual like productive hobbies. Like, like going outside? No, no, I mean I do that enough. Like, okay. but like that's not like a like a, that's not like a hobby necessarily. Rock, listen, you enjoy your video games, brother. Okay. I hey, hey. <laughs> sometimes I just binge on them and spend five six hours, hmm. and won't do it Nothing for with months. And then five or six hours, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> no stress, feeling good. Uh, take it yes. or leave it. Spags gets another shot as a head coach. Leave, leave it. it. I'm going to leave that. Oh, I think Spags no. is in the 60s now. They don't hire 60-year-old coaches and anymore. And if you saw what happened the last time. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. Again, some people are better as coordinators. They don't have to talk to the entire team. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't talk well anyways. They they are kind of weird. He hired Josh McDaniels yeah. as his offensive coordinator. How'd that work out for him? Might have been the worst pairing in the history of sports. Oh, you right? think? Could have been. So I think Spags is, and I, I'm a, as you guys know, I like Spags. Spags is a friend of mine, but uh, I think he has the third lowest winning percentage of all coaches with 40 or more games in the history of the National Football Randy, League. Randy, you'll like this. I was listening to, I think it was Get Up, Greeny was talking about the Patriot way, and he was talking about is the Patriot way is actually Charlie Weiss 
Josh McDaniels, Romeo Cornell, uh, Bill O'Brien, like all of these names that Joe Judge, all of these names that have failed, the Patriot way is truly Tom Brady. Totally. 100%. It's not, it's not, Bill, it's not a Patriot way. It's Tom Brady's way. No doubt about it. <laughs> I thought you would like that. And that's when you look at how both McDaniels, who was making $10 million a year, and Belichick are total products of Brady, how much money has Tom Brady made people oh. without even trying to do it? Yeah. yeah. Just okay. playing the game. I mean, the videographers alone. Yeah, uh, right. Good point. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Both the Blues and City reached their respective finals before the Cardinals reached the World Series. Ooh, good. Ooh. I'm going to leave it. Um, I guess final. Uh, so hard technical. to get to the Stanley Cup finals. It is. I'm going to leave that. I mean, listen. If The way that... No. Leave it. That's going to be a long it. season. Long seasons. <laughs> we did, no, take it or leave it. Somebody said this, Randy, and, and I guess you, you're going to disagree with it, but I want to get it on uh, the record. Take it or leave it. The World Series is the hardest trophy to win. I think the Stanley Cup is. I'm going to leave that. Uh, not that it's easy to win a World Series, but the physical attrition that takes place mm-hmm. during a Stanley Cup playoff run of four rounds, it's seven almost games. inhumane. It is. It really is. Best of seven. Yeah. This thing about Vince ooh. Dunn, remember when he broke his jaw? What, he broke his jaw, yeah, right, right? During yeah. the Stanley Cup run? Yeah. And then so did uh, Chara, for them, yes. played with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But think about Schenner a couple of years ago with the That's torn with the oblique. Ribs. I mean, he's playing with a torn oblique. It's ridiculous. Uh, lowest winning percentages coaches, NFL history. Burt Bell, who owned the franchise with the Eagles, had a 179 for his career. Uh, 10, 46, and 2. Hugh Jackson, we all know him. Not great. Second worst ever. And then Spags, with a record of 11 and 41 as a head coach. A 212 winning percentage is the third Where, worst in the history. Where is Dennis Allen at on there? Because he's on there. Uh, Dennis Allen's over 500 right now. No way. Yes, he is. In he's his five, career? They're 5 and 4. No, but this year. Oh, he's this 5 year. and 4. In his career, he's well below. Yeah. Um, Dennis Allen is right now, he's got the 15th worst at 323. Yeah, he's 20 was... and 42. He's on there. And he's the lowest among active coaches. Yeah. Second lowest among active coaches, as you might guess, is Josh McDaniels. Third lowest among active coaches is Todd Bowles. Uh, among active guys, uh, Dan Campbell is uh, the, the fifth lowest. Out of change. Yeah. He's in his third yep. year. Yep. And yeah. then, uh, let's see, time. you got Ron Rivera, uh, who's at 518, by the way. Uh, so, uh, not bad. And uh, one other note about Belichick. We always used to joke about how Spags had, uh, or not Spags, but uh, Jeff Fisher had the most losses in the history mm-hmm. of the league. He got fired before the Rams had let him. Uh, if Belichick sticks around, actually, might maybe by the end of this season, uh, he could surpass Jeff Fisher. He could wind up with the most losses of any coach ever. Man, you're talking about firing him after the next game if they lose. Yeah, they play the Colts this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank That's you, Matthew. Great. Thank you, Randy, and thanks for your texts. Always good to get. Just be honest. You're, you want Bill Belichick to retire until he accidentally <laughs> stumbles until he accidentally stumbles upon another good quarterback and wins some games again. Yeah, well, it's it, it wasn't that tough for Joe Gibbs, was it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, good coach. He 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 won three Super Bowls with three non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks, different guys. Hmm. Uh, so Gibbs was way better than Belichick. There you go. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, Katie Wu doesn't see the Cardinals going for the big name in free agency. So what package or pairing a group would make up for missing out on Nola and uh, Yoshi? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take.
Nola and Yamamoto, I don't think they're going to sign either. One, I don't even know if Nola's going to leave Philadelphia. I mean, I'd be more inclined to think that he would stay there. I still see the Cardinals as the best suitors for Sonny Gray. And I think, you know, when you look at the, the overall free agent market, and who the Cardinals could get, Sonny Gray is probably in that second tier. I do think he'd be a fantastic, you know, number two in a rotation. I think he would certainly help, but I also understand the gripes that fans would have of him not being enough because when you have a front office that says we need three starting pitchers, you would hope that those three starting pitchers really move the needle. I think Sonny Gray would do that, just probably, again, not to the extent that fans want. That is Katie Wu of The Athletic joining us yesterday here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN 805. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Brooke Grimsley and Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Kierker. And here's one thing that I think that we need to look at in terms of being realistic now, okay? No doubt that Sonny Gray has been a really good pitcher in his major league career. He has pitched for Oakland. He pitched two years for the Yankees, and by all accounts up there, even according to himself, just couldn't handle the pressure. And then he pitched very well for Cincinnati and Minnesota. Have the Cardinals become the A's and the Reds and the Twins? Is that what we're excited about now? Uh. Is a guy that was good for them? <laughs> don't say that, Randy. I'm just wondering. I don't think that's what we should be. That's, that's not what we But no. is that what they're striving for? It, because Sonny Gray, while a fine young man and uh, he's 34 okay well for me that's young okay <laughs> uh and he does have a 98 and 85 career record with a 3.47 earned run average but he is not a front of the rotation guy he's not jordan montgomery Mm-mm. and jordan montgomery like a lot i'm not saying that jordan montgomery is not good jordan montgomery my point would be that if you're going to make a choice, sometimes you got to throw the money thing out the window if you're really trying to win. And you take Montgomery over Gray every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I I look at, like Katie does, Sonny Gray as two, maybe a three. But if Sonny Gray is your guy this offseason, you really haven't substantially improved yourself. No, and that's what it seems like, especially when you put the quotes together of what Mosaic has said during these meetings. And with those media members, I'm talking about John Dinn and Derek Gould, a lot of people think that they have differing reports. It's all the same thing, and Katie Wu confirmed that yesterday, is the I keep going back to the prudent thing. Whenever I hear that Mosaic said being prudent about the payroll— it makes me prune up. That's what I'm thinking about. I just want to shrivel up. I, uh-huh. I hate everything about it. Katie Wu, in her article that's out with The Athletic right now, points out this. The team aims to be flexible with its blueprint. Instead of acquiring three starting pitchers, Mosellock could elect to acquire two starters and a swingman. So it really does seem like Sonny Gray could fit into that category. And Mosellock also mentioned several times volume when it comes to acquiring volume, pitchers. Jerry. Volume, which... Having depth is important, but that also means that these younger pitchers are going to be coming to play. So say that you get a sunny gray. I would hope that the Cardinals would be aggressive when it comes to a trade. Do you think that it would be a bigger splash with the trade than it would be whatever they're doing in free agency? Depends on the trade, but Bob Nightingale reported yesterday that the White Sox aren't shopping Dylan Cease, but are telling teams they will listen to offers. And I think that's where the Cardinals need to place their focus could be, according to Nightingale, the best pitcher available on the trade market. This is a guy who had a transcendent season in 2022, not as good in 2023. But 
in talking to people who, A, watched him on a regular basis, and B, that are in baseball that see the analytics numbers, they like what Dylan Cease still did in 2023. So if that would be there, I think that would... Actually, I, for me, getting Dylan Cease would trump getting Aaron Nola. Uh, yeah, but you know you're going to have to give up something. That's fine. So whatever you're willing... What what are you willing to give up would be the question. And then the, the other thing okay, is... Can I ask you a question? Yep. Because we had Jesse Rogers on down the stretch, right? Mm-hmm. September or something. And I asked him if he thought that Gorman and Graceffo would do it. And he said, yeah, I think they would. Would, he, would you be comfortable giving up Gorman and Graceffo for Dylan Cease? Probably, Ooh. yeah. That I, is a toughie. I mean, I haven't seen Graceffo, so I, I haven't seen him. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's look at history. Let's look at, if he can play or not. He, he might be Sandy Alcantara. He might be. Right, but he might be Johan Oviedo. And 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 uh, Nolan Gorman might be the next best left-handed power hitter we see. He could wind up being Kyle Schwarber. Or he could be injured mm-hmm. from here on yep. out. Who knows? You never know. You never know. Um, so I do agree. The, the issue that I had, she said, Katie Wu said, Sonny Gray is probably a number two, which means – where the hell is the number one going to come from? Mm-hmm. They, she doesn't believe that Nola or Yamamoto are, are options for the Cardinals. This is going to be something. The the issue and the thing that scares me most is what I've said all off season, all you know, towards the end of the season, when when Dakota Hudson was performing well, when Zach Thompson was pitching well, when Matthew Libertor was doing a good job. Oh, 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 oh. you know what, fellas? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, <laughs> We may not have to go get those three starters. We may have them here. And we got a couple of guys down there in the minors that are going to be really good. So that's my concern. If you go in that direction and these guys don't pan out and you don't spend any money in the offseason and then you see Aaron Nola have a hell of a year, you see Blake Snell have a hell of a year, Sonny Gray, if he's here or not, he has a hell of a year, and you're looking at yourself and you're saying – scratching your head saying, why Why didn't we go get any of these guys? Why didn't mm-hmm. we attempt to go get any of these guys? Oh, oh, because we had six starters and we thought that the guys that we had on the roster were already good enough and they were going to get it done. That's my concern. I do believe one of these young guys could be a fifth starter. I do believe that some of these young guys can be bullpen, bullpen arms that can help you. But I also believe you need to go out and get a true number one and possibly a true number two. And that's what I believe is a successful offseason and what I believed and hoped that they were going to do because this season was different. This is not a typical Cardinal season. It's not a one-off in my opinion because there was a lot of signs that led to this point. And so I was hoping that their offseason approach would also elicit that same sense of urgency of understanding that this was not a typical season. We need to have a different offseason. But what scares me into what you're saying, CD, is that it does look like we're taking that same approach. I want them. To me, a successful offseason is getting one of those top-tier starting pitchers that are available. And to Katie's point, I don't think Sonny Gray is considered that. I think he's in that second tier. And let me give you one other quote here from the Bob Nightingale story. And he writes about all the teams and about the the offseason. But he writes this about the Cardinals and specifically John Mozeliak. Quote, he is really, really motivated, one GM said, more than at any time I've been around him. So hopefully that will prove to be the case and the motivation will result in results. Because as was uh, noted by Bob Nightingale, Mozeliak told him the Cardinals were completely embarrassed by their 71 and 91 season. And uh, Mozeliak has vowed to other GMs they won't let it happen well, again. Prove it. Prove it. Prove That's it. the way. Don't don't tell me about it. Prove it. Yep. Let me I'm see through action 
that you are really embarrassed, that you were really embarrassed by losing 91 games and finishing 20 games on, under 500 and finishing fifth in the division. Prove it. Okay, they go into next season. They don't get three starters, but it's Cease with, and you give up Gold, uh, Gorman. Gorman and Graceffo. But you've got Cease and Sonny Gray as your front of the and, you're, you're in a better and spot Michaelis than you were. and Zach Thompson. You're in a better spot. Steve yeah. and Matt's probably. Yeah. I feel a little you're bit a better, better. You're yes. in a much better spot. Well, yeah. and also then you're looking ahead to the future. But I would be interested to know, because I know that we're going to keep touching on this throughout the day, for people to text in, what would you think would be a satisfactory off-season starting rotation for the Cardinals? If they're going to go out and get realistic. three pitchers, two pitchers, mm-hmm. we want to be realistic, because I think it's very clear that Yamamoto <laughs> and Nola are out of the conversation. So. Yeah. <laughs> but what is a realistic projection? What would make the fan base happy for the Cardinals to do? Good question. That's Brooke, that's Carrie, and I'm Randy, and that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to our buddy Jamie Rivers about your St. Louis, well, his St. Louis Blues, next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And we go to the celebrity line, our friend Jamie Rivers, co-host of the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. And of course, your analyst for Blues Hockey on Bally Sports joins us. Uh, Rivs, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? Good. Tell us how you answered the phone for Matthew. This is very funny. <laughs> I said, what do you want? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. He, he needs that because he, he, he calls you up. He's, he's just so giddy in the mornings and uh so he needs that kind of knockdown at some point yeah you got to keep him in line i'll tell you that much <laughs> oh no well uh last night of course not what you want to see when they were able to build up two wins what was your biggest takeaway jamie because obviously the missed opportunities were a huge talking point yeah missed opportunities were, were part of it you know early in the game you have an opportunity on the power play to score a goal and uh, you know, Pavel Buchnevich just gets denied by a stick from the defenseman coming across in the open net. That 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 that, that kind of sucked as as a moment that you should have taken advantage of. But then also special teams again. You know, and the Blues power play just not able to to get anything done, and then they give up to on the penalty kill, which had not been the case for the last you know, four or five games. They've been very solid on the penalty kill. And that kind of was the story. That, that kind of created the gap in the game. And from there, you're chasing the game. And once the Winnipeg Jets got up by a couple of goals, you know, they play a real lockdown system through the neutral zone. It's hard to penetrate from that point on. And from there, you know, you're just you're swimming upstream at that point, And the Blues just couldn't catch up. Jamie, we're 11 games in now, and the Blues have one power play goal. And I, I think this is enough time, probably enough of a sample size, to determine what the issues are. Is it a personnel issue? Is it a schematic issue? Why is the Blues power play so ineffective? Uh, for me, I think it's just a mindset issue. It, I think that they, they pass the puck around, and they – so they pass up the opportunity to shoot the puck a lot. Now, I do think last night was better. You know, they didn't score off of it, but they did establish a shot out there. 
And by establishing the shot, they did get that opportunity that Pavel Buchnevich ended up with, a wide-open net. You know, unfortunately, the Winnipeg Jets defenseman did a great job of covering that. But, you know, early on, I just think they're passing it around too much without a purpose. I do feel like they have a purpose now, but because of the early games where they didn't generate anything, it's unfortunately it's carried forward to where now you're looking back and it's like the whole body of work rather than just a sample size of, oh, they had a bad stretch of games. This has been a bad stretch of the season. The entire season has not been great. You scored one power play goal. It's just not enough. In, in, in a league that calls penalties frequently now, where you get multiple you know, opportunities in a game to score a goal with the man advantage, and you've only got one goal, it, it's just not good enough. So I, I don't know. I, like I said, I like what they've been doing lately. You know, a couple of good passes and then the shot, but they're so far behind the eight ball now, it just feels like no matter what they do, it's not enough. And, and that can get the teams too. That can get to a power play to where they know the numbers. They know what's going on. And so for the coaching staff, I think the biggest challenge is you know, trying to segment these things out a little bit to say, look, our first three games, we didn't do much. Our second, our next three games after that, you know, we established more opportunities. And then in our last three games was our greatest segment yet to where we established a lot of scoring opportunities. We established a lot of shots. So I think that's the only way you can try to keep this power play going and keep the confidence going because otherwise, man, that one goal just doesn't look good. Jamie, I thought the first period was really good. I mean, they had the opportunity on the power play. I thought that was really good, but they just didn't score. Craig Berube said that they didn't do things quick enough or hard enough in the postgame conference uh, in the second period. Why is it that you get the the highs and the lows of this team? What is it that they need to do to be more consistent? Well, I think the biggest thing with this team is they have to play heavy on the forecheck. And all that means is they have to get pucks into the offensive zone. And when they get themselves in trouble is when they get a little too fancy, a little too east-west in the neutral zone. And what happens there is you end up turning the puck over or it ends up just where you create turnovers for the other team. And it gives the other team momentum at that point to play offense. And that's what happened last night was you spent most of that second period defending and this shouldn't be the case. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets, yeah, they're, they're one, they were one point ahead of you in the standings. Now they're three points ahead of you in the standings. But that's a team that you're equal or better than. And I, know, I don't care what anybody says. That's a team that, you know, you win one, lose one against this team. That's the way it should be. So you shouldn't be dominated that much in one period of the game. Yet the Blues were. The second period, they weren't executing good passes on the breakout. The neutral zone was kind of sloppy, and that's what happened is Winnipeg capitalized on those turnovers and then went to work offensively. And when they got the offensive zone, they spent long stretches of time in the offensive zone, which means you're defending, and you've got the long change. And so when that happens, it's tough because you you really can't manufacture any kind of energy or any kind of momentum when you're defending and you're tired. It doesn't look like a, a physical thing to me. Obviously, these guys are talented. They made it to the to the professional ranks. They're, they're NHL players. It feels like it's a mental thing that when they get down, they just don't keep pressing forward. How do you instill that in them that no matter what, you got to keep going even when it's not looking great? 
Yeah, that's a tough thing to do. You know, obviously, I think that's an individual thing. And, yeah, I don't think this team has quit in them right now. I, I really don't. I'm watching. You know, there's pockets of games where it doesn't look pretty, uh, but it doesn't mean they're not trying. And, and so, for me last night in the second period, it was more of an execution thing over an effort thing. And in the third period, you look at the team again, they came out hard, they're looking to press again, looking to try and catch up. They got to the point where, you know, Braden Shan scores a nice goal. They're able to pull the goalie. I know it didn't work out uh, to their advantage, but honestly, Kerry, I haven't seen this team kind of roll over yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a good thing. Like last year, there were times where you looked at it and you're like, okay, it's clearly a team that, you know, understands that, we're trading off players. This is a lost season. And, you know, you can see the, some of the, the the body language at the time. This team here is still fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you don't play well all the time doesn't necessarily mean you're not working hard. It's just that they're not executing properly. Jamie, does it does it feel like they're still looking for some chemistry amongst those top six forwards? I know that Ruby, of course, the lines don't matter, but it still feels like they're searching for that chemistry amongst amongst those top six. Yeah, I mean, I think they are a little bit, but then you know what, Brooke, you go back to the last two games, New Jersey, Montreal, which were two pretty good teams. I think that they would. I think most people would say they they had some pretty good chemistry in those two games. So you know, I think it's. It's a game-to-game basis sometimes on how it works, but even to start last night, there was chemistry. They were getting scoring opportunities. They they had, you know, they had the Jets on their heels at times. I mean, if you go through the lines, uh, each line had a scoring chance, including the the fourth line, which started the game. Sunquist play and neighbors. So I thought they, you know, for uh, for an identity line or a fourth line, whatever you want to call them, I thought they had a real strong game. They got in the offensive zone. They had some sustained offensive zone time of possession with the puck. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's chemistry that's the problem right now. I think that when you look at things, sometimes you have to take a step back and look at the last three or four games and say, okay, how is the chemistry of the lines? And I think overall the chemistry was, was fine. It's just that last night you hit a second period that wasn't your best period as far as execution and creating any kind of offensive momentum. And you also gave up two power play goals. That's the story. For me, that, that, that's the game last night is, is those two things. Finally, Jamie Rivers. The long yes. national nightmare is over. Last night, the San Jose Sharks <laughs> finally won a game. They beat Philadelphia 2-1 to one after their 0-10-1 start. Congratulations to the Sharks. Yeah, I mean, man, I've been on some bad teams, but never that bad. I mean, that's tough sailing, man. Giving up 20 goals in two games. I mean, my goodness. I'm I'm glad they finally won one. I'm not going to be a good teammate at that point. I'm going to be one of the worst people. It's going to be some some tough practices and some tough conversations going on. Uh, we, We start off like that. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, Kerry, they better be uh, they better pace themselves because I think this season is going to look a lot like it has already for the Sharks. If that's the case, I mean, there, there won't be anybody left alive on the island at the end of the day. <laughs> no doubt. Ribs, have a great day. We'll be tuned in for the fast lane this afternoon and then tomorrow for the Blues and the Coyotes on Bally. 
All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Thanks, Rivs. Jamie Rivers, our blues analyst for Valley Sports and, of course, co-host of The Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. Stick around. It's coming your way on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. I am Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter for the second day in a row is Corey. Corey, how you doing? There you go. Corey, you there? Yeah. There you are. How's it going? We couldn't hear you. Nothing. We couldn't hear anything. You, I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing wonderful. Good. You uh, you had a win yesterday, big win versus Randy in overtime. Are you ready to take him on again today? Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. This weekend in Germany, Travis Kelsey became the all-time leader in receiving yards for the Chiefs, passing Tony Gonzalez. Which wide receiver sits third on the list? Is it Dwayne Bowe, Eddie Kennison, or Otis Taylor? Dwayne Bowe. Who won the 2023 NCAA tournament? UConn, Kansas, or Houston? UConn. Ryan O'Reilly was not the first Blues captain to win the Selkie Trophy. Which center took home the 1989-90 edition of the award? Is it Steve Tuttle, Pete Zezel, or Rick Meager? Uh, Rick Meager. Will Levis is the next Titans quarterback of the future. Who is the Titans slash Oilers franchise career passing yards leader? Is it Steve McNair, Warren Moon, or George Blanda, not Panda. Georgia Panda, Panda which Panda. is Panda. one of the options on here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do uh, Steve McNair. All right, we're going to go double check our score, and then we will bring in Randy Carricker. Corey, how you feel? Oh, man. Same about yesterday, about 50-50. Well, you know, they give you a chance. So you're saying you got a chance. Got a chance. That's all that matters. We uh, we got some wonderful food sent in from great listeners. We appreciate thank you, you all. Thank you, John, for sending us food, by you're the way. You're amazing. <laughs> we thank you. Randy, say hello to Corey. You remember Corey from yesterday. Oh, yeah, Corey. Good morning. Yeah. How you doing? You remember what happened <laughs> yeah, yesterday? How are you? You're doing well. You remember what happened yesterday? Oh, yeah, the uh, overtime. Yeah, yeah. O- o- OTL. Ugh. One point. One point. Yep. You're trying to get two points today, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Here we go. Okay. This weekend in Germany, Travis Kelsey became the all-time leader in receiving yards for the Chiefs, passing Tony Gonzalez. Which wide receiver sits third on the list? Okay. Um, I don't think Otis Taylor caught enough passes. It was not a passing game back in the day. Doesn't seem like in the Marty years, you had Willie Davis and Dante Hall. You really didn't have a big guy. You had Dwayne Bowe, who was there for a long time. Caught a lot of balls. Um, Gonzalez is second, hmm. right? Uh, yep. I think I'll go with Dwayne Bowe. Who won... This year's NCAA tournament. This year's NCAA 
basketball tournament? It just says tournament. I men's, the paper. Men's, men's basketball tournament? <laughs> it could be said, well, I just read the paper. <laughs> um, it was to be a, fair, you should ask because you never know. He might just throw yeah. in like women's or something right. like that. Might, just that, that, that has, might be has baseball. Happened. Literally have never, has yeah. never happened in might my time running the fight. AL or NL, you never know. <laughs> That was hilarious. Uh, it was that uh, that coach that, that used to coach in the A-10. He, he won for UConn. Uh, Hurley. Uh, Hurley. Bobby Hurley's brother won for UConn. All right. Ryan O'Reilly was not the first Blues captain to win the Selkie Trophy. Which center took home the 1989-90 edition of the award? Ah, Ricky Mahar. He's a great defensive center. Ricky Mahar. Is it Mahar? Mahar. Yeah. Number 22. Little fella. Great player. Great defensive player. Little fella. Rick Mahar. Mahar. (laughs) (laughs) Final question. Will Levis is the next Titans quarterback of the future. Hmm. Who is the Titans slash Oilers franchise career passing yards leader? Hmm. We travel up and down the field. We're always in control. When you say Houston Oilers, you're talking Super Bowl. I'm going to go with Warren Moon. Warren Moon is the uh, is the all-time passing yardage leader for the uh, Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Titans. How many fight songs do you have just noodling around up there? Oh, man. my! You know what my favorite is? Have you ever watched the uh, Wake Up the Echo scene in Airplane? Uh, yeah, I'm aware of what uh, you're talking about, yes. And Doc, I can't tell you where I'll be then, but I can tell you this. I won't smell very good. I got a lot of them. I got a lot of them. It's beautiful. Yep. Okay. George Zip said that. Do, 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 Can you do, do Tennessee do, do, this weekend? Hmm? I'm sorry, what now? Tennessee this weekend? Oh, Tennessee Titans? Oh, no. Rocky, <laughs> Top, Rocky Top. Rocky Top, Tennessee. I will go with Warren Moon as my final answer. Boy, could he wing it. With that June Jones, uh, that run and shoot offense. Whew. Boss Davis, pretty good. After two back-to-back tiebreakers on Monday and Tuesday, we have an outright winner in today's fight. A 3-2 victory. Was it Corey taking down Randy Carricker for his shot tomorrow at a Hall of Fame spot? Or did Megamind step up and stop him? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. So sorry, Corey. He got you three to two in today's fight. Oh, it's all right. I knew that last one got me. Yeah, the last one got you. This week, uh, let's go through those questions. This weekend in Germany, Travis Kelsey became the all-time leader in receiving yards for the Chiefs by one yard, passing Tony Gonzalez. The wide receiver with the most yards in Chiefs history is, in fact, Otis Taylor with 7,306. You're correct. He caught 122 passes less than Dwayne Bowe did across his Kansas City career, but has 200 more yards than Dwayne Bowe for the lead. Uh, The 2023 men's NCAA tournament champion was, in fact, UConn beat. San Diego State, which honestly I, I blanked on, and that's why I used it as a mm-hmm. question because I was like, who won? Uh, you know what? If I can't remember off the top of my head, maybe that's not a bad question. Ryan O'Reilly, not the first Blues captain to win the Selkie Trophy. Which center took home the 89-90 edition of the award? And this is insane because when you look at the Blues scoring that year, you obviously had Hole and Oates over 100 each. Mm-hmm. Zezel had 72 points, and then you go all the way down. 25 points on that squad is how many points Maher scored, and he mm-hmm. was the winner of the Selkie Trophy. I just, I don't know if a Selkie has, in the last 20 years, has won whilst being the 
Eleventh leading yeah, scorer on a team probably just, it just not. hasn't happened. But then again, yeah. the but, award be, used to be uh, awarded correctly. Yep. It sounds like yeah. And Mahar, by the way, was a great captain. He mm. was really honest with the media. He spent. I, he might. I don't even know if he's still in the Blues organization. He was in the Blues organization for a long, long time. Great guy though. Thirty six years old when he won that. Um, pretty impressive. And will Levis maybe the next Titans QB of the future? We'll cross our fingers for Brooke. The <laughs> Titans slash Oilers franchise career passing leader is in fact Warren Moon with all those yards he got for the. Oilers. Uh, we so that's a three-two win for Randy Carricker. And Randy, you didn't get the options, but somehow, somehow, uh, George Blanda, which who's third by Banda. the way, and, and somehow came out as Georgia Panda on the paper. Oh, cute. Somehow Panda. George Blanda was he Georgia Panda, Panda. <laughs> and luckily that didn't screw up anybody today in yeah. the fight. But unfortunately, Corey, you did not beat Randy Carricker. So thank you so much today for joining the fight and joining the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Have a good one. So Thank George you, Blanda was playing George quarterback Panda. in the NFL at about 46 years old, mm-hmm. uh, not to the level of Tom Brady, but there was a point in one of the Raiders' seasons where I think Stabler got hurt and Blanda came in and brought him back in three consecutive games, and somebody had a huge banner at Oakland Alameda Coliseum, and it said, God is alive and well and wears number 16. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, pretty fun. Those, nice. those were the days. That's the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up, if Yadier Molina does join the Cardinal coaching staff, does he bring enough coaching experience to the Cardinals? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. exciting when you see Yadier Molina linked to the Cardinals in any capacity, especially knowing that he could be on the coaching staff. I still think both sides are very interested. It's taking a little bit for the Cardinals to finalize their coaching staff. Whether or not this has anything to do with Major League Baseball getting rid of the uniformed contracts for teams and leaving contracts for coaches up to each individual team, I'm not sure. Um, But it does sound like, you know, Turner Ward, Dusty Blake, all those guys are coming back. Ollie Marmel, of course, going to be the manager next year. I could see Yachty having a role with the day-to-day operations, but I'm sure fans are, are getting kind of anxious to get this done. I would be surprised if this takes much longer, but we'll see, obviously, these things, especially when you're working with someone uh, you know who's such high status as Yachty or Molina, can take some time. That's Katie Wu from The Athletic yesterday on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals hitting coach and pitching coach both have two first names. Turner, <laughs> Ward, Dusty, Blake. Hmm. Is that the requirements? Uh, evidently it is. <laughs> Maybe that's all you need is Blake, just to do that. Lively? Mm. Dusty Springfield? No. Ward Cleaver? Ward Cleaver is a solid name. That was a great show. It was. Okay, so here's the thing. If Yadier Molina arrives on the scene with the Cardinals, and they have a relatively... Uh, in terms of major league playing experience, a relatively inexperienced group. My guess would be that Yadier Molina probably has four or five times more playing experience in the majors than all the Cardinal coaches except for Willie McGee. So he brings that to the table. But what about coaching experience? Are you guys willing to look at what he's done in Winterball, what he has done with the uh, Puerto Rican team in the World Baseball Classic, what he has done with 
with basically running the Cardinals. And I always go back to what Hall of Famer Ted Simmons said. The Yachty could be your catcher, your hitting coach, your pitching coach, and your manager all in one. Does he bring enough to the table for you guys to think that he's a difference maker for the Cardinals? I think so. I think the thing that he brings is relatability. He's a guy, you know, as a coach, the further you get away from being around the same age as the players or being engulfed in playing you're just it's not the same as being a player but him being one year removed from actually being on the field with a lot of those guys spending time in that in that clubhouse spending time in that dugout understanding the ins and outs of how certain players move and especially the pitching staff I think he will do a great job of helping and assisting in whatever role he's in because he's relatable he's been there he's he's sat behind that plate for countless of number of numbers of innings and and watched those guys perform so I think he he brings great value to this team. I think bringing him in would be something that the Cardinals need to do. And he's also a voice that a lot of different people will listen to. Not only just the players, CD, to your point of what you're talking about. Of course, a player, when Yanier Molina is speaking, you're going to stop what you're doing and listen it and listen to him. Because that's what they did with him when he was a player. His voice commanded the room and people stopped and listened. But I think he can really affect the Cardinals in many different areas. I think that it's interesting because if you look at some of the quotes, it seems like figuring out what role exactly would work best. I would love to have him in the dugout. I think that that's where he will be most beneficial, being around the team day in and day out. We know his experience and how he can help the pitchers, and also how he can work with many different players, how he can help Wilson Contreras and the other catchers, Yvonne Herrera and even Andrew Kisner, already building those relationships that he had, but even working specifically with Wilson even more so you can maximize that contract and get the most. What is interesting is that it seems like the time commitment thing continues to be brought up and how that will affect his role. If he'll just be an advisor from Puerto Rico, I think he will be here for spring training. Well, not here, obviously Jupiter. But what will that role be and where is Yadier Molina best served? I would think he would best serve the Cardinals by being on hand for pregame meetings. And I'm not talking about the 2 o'clock meeting with the analytics guys. And if they want to still do that, they can do it at 1 or noon or whatever. But he should be running the meeting with the pitchers and the catchers, right? I'll do respect to uh, Dusty Springfield. But (laughs) whenever I talk to a former major league player who doesn't, they aren't aware of where he came from, they say, where did he come from? I say, Duke. And they're all, it's all always with the quizzical Duke. Hmm. They say, yeah, came from college. Now, there have been successful pitching coaches that have come from the college ranks. But I would think, this is just a guess on my part, that if you put a group of 13 pitchers and two catchers in a room, and you've got Dusty Blake talking for five minutes, and you've got Yadier Molina talking for five minutes, they're going to remember what Yadi says probably more than than uh, Dusty Blake. Well, the, all due all, respect. All those guys probably grew up watching Yadier mm-hmm. Molina to, to some degree, understanding what he brings to the table. Um, the question of whether Yadi wants to actually be here every day, if he wants to manage at some point, then he has to be here every day. Mm-hmm. It's not an option because you can't just, you know, it, it put yourself in a position where all of a sudden now you're managing a ball club, but you haven't gone through the rigors of the day-to-day, you know, just just going through it every single day trying to figure out Oh, kind of like Mike Matheny. 
Yeah, or, or or Jeff Saturday came to mind. <laughs> like it, it, it's it's it usually doesn't go well. Yeah, for precedent you. though. Yeah, but Former I don't think Cardinal Gold Glove catcher, uh, man. I don't, I don't think that, that that goes well, and I think that you become fatigued. You have to build up a tolerance to coaching. Like you have to go through it. It's almost it's like training camp. You have to go through the process. Your body has to be fatigued. You have to be able to push through and understand how to get through each day. And so if he if his goal is to be a manager. For any organization, I think it would have to start, and it doesn't have to start, but I think it would bode well for him if it started with him being in a dugout on the bench every single game for 162 of them. By the way, the Guardians just hired a former Major League catcher, Stephen Vogt. His last playing season was 2022 with Oakland. Uh, He played for 10 years in the majors. Yachty played for 18, and Stephen Vogt, Gets the gig with the Guardian. So it's still a thing that former catchers get the job with virtually no experience. David Ross just got fired, but he got that job with the Cubs. If you look around baseball, it's amazing how many former catchers. Tori Lavolo, he coached for a few years, but didn't have any man- managerial experience. It's amazing how many managers in Major League Baseball get opportunities after being a longtime catcher. And that's the time commitment stuff is interesting with Yachty or Molina. But my biggest question is with Yachty, I assume he wouldn't just want to come in and just be partly here. And that plays into the time commitment. I think if he's here, he wants to make sure that he will have that voice and the ability to be able to have it heard and also really touch on many different things, many different aspects, things that he's seeing within the organization and also within the clubhouse and on the field. I don't think that he would commit to this fully unless that he knows that that is what the Cardinals will allow him to do. Yachty isn't just going to go in there and just take a step back. I think that if he's coming in and he's going to be specifically in the dugout, then it would be him wanting to know that his voice will be heard and understood and also respected in not just the clubhouse, but also amongst the front office as well. Well, I don't think if if Yachty doesn't strike me as a guy that worries about his voice being heard. I think people, (laughs) when he talks, people listen. And if he's talking and they're not listening, he has a way of making them listen. So I don't think Mm -hmm. that that would be a concern for him. Uh, And if they aren't listening after, you know, continuously telling them that they need to listen, he probably not realizes it's not the place for him. Right. So I don't think he would have I don't think he would have that issue. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I just think that what he brings to the table, who he is, what he's done in this league and understanding that he essentially Those pitchers for the last however many years did not have to work as hard, and we saw it this year. They had to work their butts off because Yadier Molina was not behind the plate. He was not in those meetings. He was not giving them the answers to the test. It was almost like they could be on autopilot. Just go out there and whatever you say, yep, I I like that pitch too, sir, (laughs) and throw it, as opposed to when you get Wilson Gutierrez behind the plate, nah, you sure I should throw that pitch? I don't think so. And so yeah. the conviction is not there. So you're not throwing the, the pitch uh, that you believe in in that moment. And we saw a lot of pitches get hit. And that's what I'm saying is that I could see, though, the vision being different of what the Cardinals are expecting for Yachty's role and what Yachty is expecting yes. for his role. Because as A.J. Pruszynski told us when he was on with us about a month, month and a half ago or so, he said when Yadi was there, when Prasinski was there in 2014, he ran the whole organization. Well, you aren't going to bring a guy back who already has run the organization and say, okay, you have to be deferential now. Right. Because that's just not in Yadi's DNA. He's not that guy that's going to be deferential. So you have to bring him in with the knowledge that he's going to have very strong opinions and it's going to be smart of you to listen to them. 
I, I totally agree. And with the coaching staff, are you guys surprised? And I know that Mo hinted that there might be some natural churning with the coaching staff. Natural it seems churn. like it's also just going to stay in place, right? Is that surprising to you guys? Um, I, I mean, I think if you keep all of the coaches in place, you're essentially saying, as the front office people, you didn't do a good enough job. And the players that you put on the field probably – anyone would have struggled with because they didn't perform to the level. So I think you're placing the blame on yourself. If you say the coaching staff did everything they were supposed to do, they did the best they could with what they had, and we're going to keep it the same because hopefully we get some guys in here that can help this team win. Pitching, you know, timely hitting was an issue. Hopefully guys aren't injured. There you go. Defense, you can keep guys healthy and not, you know, on on the IL. All of those things matter. So as far as keeping the staff the same, I think that's what you're getting from the front office. What do you think, Randy? I think that they need to make changes in the coaching staff. I don't uh, – and it was clear to me when you have the deterioration that the the, Car- the Cardinals had defensively and base running, Mike Schilt had brought the fundamentals back to this ball club. And slowly but surely, those fundamentals have deteriorated. And somewhere along the line, whether it's Yadier Molina or somebody else, they're going to have to have people that are – a, knowledgeable about what they're doing in implementing a structure with fundamentals. We saw that with the two teams in the World Series. Fundamentals, defense, matter. So you're going to have to have somebody that A, has the ability to do it, and B, commands the respect of the players to get them to be better. You don't see Nolan Arenado. Maybe Nolan Arenado was hurt, but we have to believe that he wasn't because they didn't tell us if he was. You don't see a guy like Nolan Arenado fall off the map defensively like he did. You don't see a, a guy like... Tommy Edmond regress as much as he did defensively. It just doesn't happen. And at some point, there's got to be a focus like there was with Whitey Herzog, like there was with Tony Larusa, like there was with Mike Schilt in turning those fundamentals around. Mike Schilt took the same group of guys from 17 to 18, same group of players, and went from the worst defensive team in the league to the best defensive league because he put a, a focus on working on that, not only in spring training, but throughout the season. And so, yeah, I think they need a new coaching staff. Well, not a new coaching staff, but a coaching staff that understands the fundamentals of the sport and will will be able to teach them and get them to play within those fundamentals. More than a natural churn is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't even seem to be happening. Yeah. It's just going to stay the same, I guess. I see no, the points no, of both of it because it is all the play. It I'm is usually all an advocate players. for churn. <laughs> It is oh, It is butter? all the same players, and it is up to them to execute at the end of the day. But if you don't know it, how can you do it? Yeah. If you, if you don't know how to be a good fundamental player because you're not being taught, like it's like spelling in school. How can you be expected to be a good speller if nobody teaches you how to be? Learn on your own. There you go. Homework at home. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> Hope so. Uh, coming up on 101 ESPN, we've got the rush hour reset. The Blues lost. Oh, no. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Really? Yeah. It happened. Gosh darn it. Yeah. But the other headlines of the day next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the opening drive with a rush hour reset.
It is 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. The Blues fall to Winnipeg last night, 5-2 over at Enterprise Center. And the Blues fell behind early, scored a goal to make it 2-1, then had a rugged second period. 3-1 after 2 and 5-2 was the final. And the Blues had a power play opportunity, went 0 for 1 on the power play. The Blues now 5, 5, and 1. They played 11 games, and they have scored exactly one power play goal this season. So that's kind of alarming. And the Arizona Coyotes are in town tomorrow. And last night, going into the game, the Blues were within a playoff spot. Well, now Arizona has that spot. Arizona, if the playoffs started today, would be the second wild card team, which is not what we were expecting when the season started. Or maybe when the season ends. No. And maybe that's why you don't bank too much into what's going on right now. But I do think with the Blues, you do have to pay attention to the issues or patterns that you continue to see. One is we've seen some games where they really aren't able to capitalize on the chances that they get. I don't know exactly what that could be. I think it, what Jamie said was a really good point of sometimes they get a little too cute. And we've heard Barubi say that over the years, and I don't know what that is exactly. What do you guys think that that means when they're saying that it gets too cute? Because I've seen it. It's just the extra pass, yeah. right? It's just trying to be too perfect. And, and Torbchenko had a... It's probably a prime example from last night where mm-hmm. he's right in front of the net. He Instead of shooting it, he decides to pass it. I think it was in the second period. Um, Buchnevich, his was just he fumbled the puck. He just lost it off of his stick and was unable to get a shot. But that was one of the things that, you know, for the past couple of games that even with Robert Thomas, I asked him, do you feel like you guys could be a little bit more selfish and, and not overpass um, trying to be perfect and, and get the perfect shot when sometimes the perfect shot is the one you take right there. And it, it, if you take it and make it, then everything is all good. But I, I, that part I don't understand. I think that's maybe a, a, a way of them trying to prove that they are all connected and tied in. And again, not trying to be selfish, but there are times where you do have to be selfish. And I know mm-hmm. Robert Thomas isn't probably getting everybody else involved on the line with him, but hell, he's scoring. So, you know, other guys got to come on. When they get an opportunity, they got to put the puck in the net as well. I agree. That's that's the thing is that I'm kind of surprised by is that Pavel Buchnevich right now has one goal and two assists this season. And Robert Thomas, I like him shooting the puck more. But that's why I asked Jamie about if he feels like the top six chemistry is still there yet. Because it does feel like sometimes something is a little off and they haven't fully come together as a group. Yeah. I, I said it earlier. I think the best line is the fourth line. Yeah, it is. Like it, it, and, and they were great last night. They were great. And it's not... It seems like they're on the same page. Yes. They, they are playing. They understand their role. And I think maybe that's part of it, too. Maybe the other guys are still trying to figure out where they fit or what their role is on this team or on that specific line to where, you know, if you're put in a position, that that's because the coach believes you should be in that position. Whatever the coach tells you you should be doing in that position is what the hell you should be doing in that yeah. position. And then there's times where, you know what, I can make an extra play. I can freestyle because I have that ability. But if the coach tells you this is the role I need you in, and I think the fourth line has bought into that mm-hmm. specifically. They understand their role. And I, I thought them starting the game was was outstanding because they really gave – 
that team some some energy to start the game off. And that's the key right there is buying into it, buying into the system that they want to implement and understanding it. That's what I feel like is still something that the team as a whole is working on. Mm-hmm. But giving credit to the fourth line, they've been able to at least figure that out. Meanwhile, the baseball general managers meetings taking place in Scottsdale. John Mozeliak telling Derek Gould and reporters, quote, I certainly feel pressure. I think the expectations. Should I do this in Mo voice? I'm sorry. Yes, sure. I certainly feel pressure. I think the expectations are high and people want to get back to that. These are demanding jobs. And when they don't go as planned, whether it's self-induced pressure or outside pressure, regardless, you feel pressure. I would suggest to you that John Mozeliak does not feel pressure. You don't think he's feeling any pressure whatsoever yeah, right now? I think he's good. I, 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 I would disagree. Good. I think who's who's applying pressure to him? I think he is. I think ninety-one losses is. I think twenty games under five hundred is. I think you know. I don't think. I don't personally think he would concern himself with what the outside people outside mm-hmm. of that room say. But I think that when you are a person that has made it to a certain level in life. There is always an ego attached to it, and an ego is not a bad word. You should have confidence and belief in your and believe in yourself. I think he's to that point, and he does not want to put together another season that goes in that direction. I tell my this is one thing I used to tell my I would tell my uh, parents all the time. They were like, "Well, my kid, I want my kid to go to Alabama." Hell, me too. Because if I get 40 kids to go to Alabama, what the hell does that say about me? Mm-hmm. means I'm a pretty damn good coach, doesn't it? <laughs> but guess what? Every kid ain't going to Bama. They just, they just aren't. So even if, I, if you, even if you believe that I don't like your kid or don't have his best interest in heart, guess who I do like? My damn self. I want to be looked at as great. So, therefore, I think that that's the same thing as Mo. He wants to be looked at as great, and losing 90 games does not give people the image that you are great at your job. So I think just based off that alone – he will get it or try to get it corrected. And he has felt the pressure from fans. He, they've made that clear. They're feeling the pressure from fans. But maybe, Randy, is your point that if they were truly feeling this pressure, we would see a different approach this offseason? Yes. And I don't think that he has any pressure for his job. He knows that he's going to be employed by the Cardinals for the rest of his life. Exactly. Yeah. So he has no, no pressure there. The only thing that would come into play here is pride. There you go. And does he have the resources to have pride and go out and do what he needs to do. I'm not so sure that with $175 million payroll, he does. So if your boss is telling you, okay, I want to have filet, but he only gives you the the money to buy hamburger, all you can give him is hamburger. You, John Moselec's not going to make a filet out of hamburger. And that's what I'm talking about. If... It is what it is. If the pressure is applied to give something unrealistic, he can't. But he also knows that they aren't firing him. He's under contract through 25. And if he wants to work through 25, he can he can work through 25. And like CD said, he doesn't feel any pressure from the outside, clearly. So that's why I'm saying that he doesn't. The only pressure that he can apply is to himself. And he might not be able to fix the problem. If he does, if he's a genius, then that's a great thing. Well, he I will say, Derek Gould, he has a chat that he's been having going on during these GM meetings, and he did mention that Mosellock mentioned that he has gotten emails from fans talking about their frustrations. So I guess he is paying attention a little bit to the frustrations, but Randy, I think that what you said exactly right there is that he knows his job isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. He is secure within the organization and not cheering for anybody to get fired. But I think that that pressure, having that hot seat, knowing that this was a terrible season and you have to turn this around quickly because in their own words, they're looking to turn this around 
by next season, then you should really feel the pressure and the heat to turn this around quickly. Because the Cubs are dealing with a sense of urgency exactly. now. We know that, don't we? Mm-hmm. So that, that's at least one team in the division that you know is going to be trying. It'll be, uh, it'll be uh, an eventful rest of these meetings, and I think most notably the winter meetings, when all of the transactions take place. That's your Rush Hour Reset here on 101 ESPN. So coming up, do you think Mo feels pressure? Do you detect that the Cardinals are working with a sense of urgency here? Katie Wu had some notes about that. We'll tell you those, but we also want to hear from you. Leave a mic drop with the 101 ESPN app or send us a text. How do you feel about the approach and the quotes that you're getting from the Cardinals so far? Next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. O says be patient, and I say get her done. A lot uh, to talk about with the general manager's meetings going on and the reporting of the Cardinal payroll essentially staying flat for 2024 relative to what it was in 2023 when they started the season with $175 million. That's what I took out of the comments that John Mozeliak made and were reported on at the meetings down in Scottsdale. We should note that the Cardinals did the other day, if you haven't heard, they acquired a relief pitcher, a minor league relief pitcher, minor league all-star, by the way, from the Seattle Mariners. His name is Riley O'Brien, and uh, he's 28 years old. He had 86 strikeouts and 55 innings for Seattle's AAA team and led the PCL in strikeout percentage. So not only do the Cardinals have Riley O'Brien available to them on their 40-man roster, but Brooke and Carey, Wilking Rodriguez is back on the 40-man <laughs> roster, too. So when you look at the Cardinal bullpen, they really don't have to do anything in terms of free agency or trades to fix the bullpen. It's I fixed. I don't, I don't think that that's what that is. <laughs> I think... I think I mean, Mr. Mr. Um, O'Brien has has pitched in the majors a couple of games, mm-hmm. but I don't know that two. that, that uh, yeah, two, a couple, <laughs> <laughs> literally. I, I don't know that that is uh, the answer specifically. Him and Wilking are the answers solely are the answers. I think they're going to have to go out and do some work to get a couple more guys in there. Uh, well, to, to help that. Well, let me out. just run down the bullpen for you. Okay, okay go ahead. You're going to have a 13-man bullpen, right? Or no, an eight-man bullpen, five-man rotation, 13-man staff. Mm-hmm. Gallegos and Helsley are there, right? Two. Jean King is going to be there. Three. That's three. Uh, Riley O'Brien's going to be there. Four. Wilking's going to be there. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? There was a difference in them winning and losing last year. I don't know that that was the difference. But okay, let's say five. Okay. And then you can have the, the swing man, Matthew Libertor. Six. He's going to be the swing man. You don't think they'll go out and get a swing nah. man? Why? You got you got Libertor. Okay. Okay, that's six. Uh, now we get into the questions. Does Packy Naughton make this team? Ooh. Oh, Packy. I forgot about Packy. I did too. That's seven. You're you're forgetting one, and where's I, I hope you don't. I, 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 where's Palante? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because uh, if the you, only remaining member of the Holy not Trinity. Leave off that name. Hey, I'm not. The not key right. with Palante is that he's not going to compete in the oh. in the World Baseball right. Classic this year for Italy. I left off Yo-Yo. Oh yeah, Joe, now that's Joe an important Romero. Name. Now he is a, he is a that is a name that is definitely on the uh, so, in, in, in the bullpen right now, guys. They've got at least nine relievers. Andy, I don't. I they don't, got Guillermo I Zuniga. I don't think that that's what they have, sir. <laughs> CD <laughs> Rom. I don't know. I don't know that that's what they have. This is a team. How many saves? Where were they yeah. at in blown saves? It was last year. Top? Okay, but they're they're the same players. Oh, well. 
I mean, you could you another you, year. Theoretically, you can get better in the offseason from one year to the next. And ideally, you always want to get better. Um, but I, I think that this team, uh, my hope is they go out and get a couple of starters. They use some of these younger players that they have in the minor leagues as bullpen arms so they then have the flexibility to move people because that was one of the issues mm-hmm. that they had last year. They they were stuck with what they had. They Good, bad, or indifferent, they, they had to roll with the guys that they came with. And so hopefully some of these younger guys who have more options, more flexibility to go up and down if it's not going well, if there are some things that need to be worked on, some things that need to be fixed, um, they can do that as opposed to just – Rolling yeah. with, with the, the, the 13 or the eight guys that they had. And maybe the Cardinals will finally hit on one of these guys. The Zunigas and the uh, Wilking Rodriguez's of the world. Maybe your 28-year-old Riley O'Brien, oh. career minor leaguer, is going to be the one yeah. that they hit on. I think normally those are younger guys that you still project to be really good. Once you get 28, 30 years old, you pretty much are who you But are. sometimes guys hit, uh, teams hit on those guys. Sometimes it happens. Oh, okay. Every once in a while. I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily the case. <laughs> Maybe they do go out and get something. Because when I was looking at everything yesterday with what Luck was saying, say that you do go get a Sunny Gray. You do go get a Sunny Gray. Okay. And then you make a trade for another pitcher. And we're looking at some wiggle room here. That third that third starting pitcher is supposedly going to be a swing man. And you're saying that it's Matthew Libertor. Could you go back and theoretically, if you have some money to spend here, that's a little bit left over, but might put you a little bit over. No. Could you go out and spend some money on getting back Jordan Hicks or maybe another arm that is out there? You if lost me when you said go over. If he's 30 over things. three, like Jim Bowden suggested, I, I don't think. But if if the market that Hicks hopes and Jim Bowden suggests is there is not, and you could get him for three years and 18, I would think that that would be a possibility, but not three and 30. Oh, I don't know. Because I, I feel like... If your goal was to get guys back after you traded them, then why the hell did you trade them in the first place? I understand the the, the idea of getting prospects, but are any of those prospects well, going to Thomas Ajayi? Maybe he, he maybe you got he's one of the people you got back in the trade. Takoa Roby is supposed mm-hmm. to be, but it, yeah, maybe maybe not. I don't know. I, I just need to. I would like for these guys that that they bring in to pan out and be really good. The one thing the Cardinals have to hope is that. A guy like Hicks isn't worth what he thought he was worth mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they they tried to sign him right before they traded yes. him and they determined that he that he couldn't he set a price for himself which obviously uh, they couldn't come to an agreement on but now maybe he comes back or maybe the Cardinals say you know what we, we actually value a little bit more than we thought we did so we're going to give you rather than eighteen over three we'll give you twenty two over three or something like that maybe things like that are possible. And that's why I'm saying, because whenever I hear John Mosellock talk about volume, that's what my first thought was, Mm -hmm. is, okay, maybe try to get a starting pitcher that's not going to be in that top tier that we were hoping for, like a Yamamoto. Get three guys for $25 rather than one for $25 Exactly. Here's a text. How do I feel about the Cardinals front office and what they've been saying? Like Charlie (laughs) Brown trying to kick that football. Every offseason, I think I'm going to get to kick that football. And every year, the Cardinals pull that football back and I fall flat on my back. Sad and disappointed. That's how uh, the the six one eight feels about what the Cardinals have been saying so far. I I definitely do get it because it just feels like it is the same story over and over again. And 
you would hope that a season like we just experienced here in St. Louis, I don't think it was a one-off. I don't think that the World Baseball Classic had anything to do with it. I don't think that this was just a weird set of circumstances. I think there was a lot of things that led to this 91 loss season, and I was hoping that this off-season approach would be different. And it could still you know, be yeah. because there's still time to make some moves. But I, I was really just hoping that they would be able to get one of those considered ace starting pitchers yeah. and be in the market. And I do understand that it goes both ways because this is a point that a lot of people are brought up is, OK, the Cardinals can be in the conversation for Enola and a Yamamoto or anybody else like a Snell and even Sonny Gray, if you want to put them in that top category. But they also have to want to come here. I still point. I still do think that St. Louis is a desirable place, especially if you look that you have Nolan Arenado here and Paul Goldschmidt. But then again, when you're competing against some of these other and teams a- and the money that is available, that they'll be able to throw at them. You mentioned the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers could land Aaron Nola and Shohei Otani. That's a real possibility because they have the pocketbooks to do that. And, yeah. and, and I want to go back to my point about being allowing the free agents to leave and then expecting them to be just want to come back. You run the risk of... Other teams seeing how good that Jordan Montgomery probably isn't going to be in a Cardinal uniform. You need a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. And so you let him walk. Obviously, he was a free agent. He's impending free agency. But the expectation that, oh, we can just let guys walk and they'll come back to us. How? Why the hell would mm-hmm. you do that? Why would you assume that that's the case? Now he goes and wins a world championship. Now he has other suitors. And the market shifted when Otani went down, when Urias went down with whatever he's got going on. There's less people that they're going after. And so, yeah, the New York Yankees are like, hell, we, we shouldn't have left you go, let you go in the first place. We'll get you back because we're going to spend money mm-hmm. to get you back. Well, and now when you look at this, and again, this is a product of having an inexperienced coaching staff. If you are somebody who not just wants to make money but wants to win, and you look at what the Cubs are doing, and you look at what the Cardinals are doing. Do you? And you again, you're a competitor. Would you be more inclined to go to the place where the manager's been in the play, in the playoffs five of the last six years, rather mm-hmm. than the manager that has two years of experience and just lost ninety one games? I, I would think that Craig Council will be a draw for the Cubs. The money will be a draw for the Yankees. The Rangers aren't going to stop spending. No, they're they're being a world champion is a draw for the Texas Rangers. Same thing for the Houston Astros. They aren't going to stop spending. Mm-hmm. They've got guys. So not only do the Cardinals have to compete with money, but they have to compete with people that have won more recently than they have and have shown with their experience that they know how to do it. Exactly. And I would love to know what the pitch is. And when CD, you're talking about Jordan Montgomery. They did have a chance. That's that's one thing that I think if you could point out the issue with Jordan Montgomery is that, that they did have the chance to bring him back. He had that interest going into spring training. He mentioned that during spring training. And, of course, I know that he's a Scott Boris mm-hmm. client, but he had mentioned he wanted to be here and stay in St. Louis, and it was open to extension conversations. And then you get to the point where you're obviously sellers, and you have to let him go at that point so you can get something in return. They should have likely re-signed him. But who knows yeah. if any thing would have or extended him excuse me but who knows where any of this would have gone because now you're in the situation where you do in my opinion need three starting pitchers two of those need to be a one and a two obviously because they're missing that if i'm not mistaken by the way and somebody can correct me on the text line if i'm wrong here i believe the last time a player 
signed before hitting free agency. A, a Boris client signed with his team before hitting free agency was Greg Maddox when he insisted to Boris that he stay in Atlanta in 2000, uh, 2004. Uh, signed there in 2002, two-year contract. Uh, no, it was, be- it was before that. Um, re-signed with the Braves in, yeah, 2002 uh, was the last time I think a Boris client that had the potential to go into free agency signed with his own team before going into free agency. But if he, if the player has stated he would like to return here, then you you make that work. You, you Andy try Bennett to. stated that. Andy Bennett stated that in 1997, and Boris took him to Arizona. Well, you, you try your best to make it work because, as Brooks said, now they're looking for three starting mm-hmm. pitchers. If you signed Jordan Montgomery, you'd be looking for two. And so that's the difference. You you go from having to spend whoever knows how much money on that position alone to to and and we here understand that what's the realistic expectation of the Cardinals getting when when that statement was made I was like that's a lie that's not true they're not going to go get three starting pitchers mm-hmm. they're not yeah, you going said it to that day. they are not, that 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 sounded foolish to me because there has been nothing to show us that this would happen or has happened or would take place. And so now here we are three or four months later, and we're like, well, maybe we we don't really need three starters. The worst thing that could happen was those guys perform well because you go from three starters to, eh, you know what, I like what I got. Yeah. Let me add one more Scott Boris point. The Cardinals do not have a good relationship with Boris at the moment. No, so I could see Boris saying, no, we're not going to have any talks. Yeah, that's yeah. that's nice, Jordan, that you would want to stay here, but we're not going to do that. And in the end, look at how much it's paid off for Jordan Montgomery because right. he's going to get a huge payday. But with the three starring pitchers now, to be fair, CD, he didn't say what type of three starting pitchers. He he it could be two low hanging fruit. See, that's that's the, where that's that's where you could really get tricky the, with those the words. The gotchas. The, yeah, that, yep. that's gotcha. Where you, it didn't really say tell you who. I just said three. <laughs> so. Coming up on 101 ESPN, a little post mortem on uh, City SC and great news for City SC coach Bradley Carnell. Next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Bradley Carnell, head coach of St. Louis City SC, has been named the Missouri Athletic Club's Sports Personality of the Year. Congratulations to... Friend of the show, Bradley Carnell. He was uh, voted by members of the MAC, and he'll be honored at the Jack Buck Awards on December 5th. Bradley Carnell speaking to the media this morning. The uh, St. Louis City SC squad actually having an end-of-season press conference. How does that do? Most teams do that? Most teams do that, yeah. The Cardinals are no matter win, lose, or draw, right? And they lost in the playoffs. And here's the thing. Get this. Right now, both Lute and Bradley are still speaking. And throughout the rest of the morning, they're going to have, like, the majority of the starting roster all step up and take questions. Like, the entirety of the starting roster is going to be up there. And Bradley and the players? Yeah, afterwards. Wow. Well, I've never, never, that's that's news to me. Something new and exciting. I know, right? How about that? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is why I had to leave you guys during the last time. I wasn't bored. I was just, I had to go do something. I had to go, I had to go pull this. Okay. Uh, Bradley Carnell on the overall, the the, uh, 5,000 foot view of this season. Yeah, for me, it's about, you know, developing 
the person and and the skill set of the individual but within a philosophy right for me the system is always the main thing and you know we we identified key players or players in in certain areas to make sure that they are ready to apply the principles to apply the system and uh, through that you know from a team who had no depth at all going into the season Lutz just alluded to it, you know, how many players made minutes, debuts, you know, seven of them, you know, celebrated debuts with, with their families. And yeah, I believe, you know, we have to stick to our strict routine, our strict principles and our philosophy, because that is our DNA. This is who we are. And it's interesting that uh, he, he brought up the virtually no depth at the beginning of the season, seven players that made their debuts. And Lutz Fahnenstiel, director of sport, was asked about whether or not depth played a role for City this year. Well, we had guys who played two years ago college, who played 2,000 minutes. This is what I call depth. And will we still work on the depth and trying to trying to improve the team? Again, it has nothing to do with depth. It has to do that areas of the squad where we can be better, where we should be better, where we have to improve and where we want to improve. And that is exactly where we will look into the transfer market. But the word depth is something which doesn't really fit too much in our season right now. I think it's the probably one of the worst word uh, words we can choose describing our season because we probably had the biggest depth in the whole league without anybody expecting it. That's the big key, the last line, without anybody expecting it. Because I... I probably unfairly now, don't think of them as an expansion team yeah. because they're so far ahead of where everybody anticipated they would be. I I look at them as, okay, let's prepare for next year now. Now let's go into our second year off of expansion, but let's get ready to win a championship next year. I agree. It, it really didn't feel like it because of what they've been building behind the scenes here for so many years, right? If you've been here in St. Louis, you know how much Carolyn Kendall did to really build this team up, this organization up from the ground up, and then also bring in Lutz and bring in Carnell, the way that they were really able to establish this core, this spine of players that they were able to bring in. There's been so many pieces where maybe other people did not see it outside of St. Louis, but here you could really tell that they were building something special and then they got off to that historic start you have 17 uh, wins during the regular season and it was very disappointing to see it fall flat but that is the expectation now now you've set the bar really high and you have to continue to go up from here I think one of the things listening to Bradley Carnell talk about developing it's it was development is really the word that he was speaking of you know working with the player as a person and on the field just that's development that's growing guys into being the best version of themselves and that's what helps players become the best players that they can be is when you are when you truly care about them you know not just what they do on the pitch or on the field or on the court but you truly care about them as a human being how's your life going what's going on outside of this that because all of that impacts what how how we take care of this and so i think just the the word that came to mind was development developing mm-hmm. these young men into being, you know, great soccer players, great uh, players on the pitch for them and, and allowing them to have more success going forward. And I think this team is going to be fine. I think, you know, they ran into a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. I think they, they got a taste of the playoffs for the first time as a unit. And I, I don't know that they under – I don't know. I can't say that they didn't understand the intensity, but I think the intensity was uh, was there and it was present. And, you know, that first game showed it. And so they'll they'll be prepared and they'll be ready next year. Bradley Carnell doesn't disagree. 
success shouldn't be just defined on did they win the playoff game that no one ever knew that they're going to play in um, or should have played in, you know? So this defines us. And, and we, we sit here at the end of it all now, you know, and I still think it's too soon after Sunday to reflect and to, you know, be too comfy because the loss still hurts. Um, and we felt we could have gone a lot further um, based on, you know, the, the squad and the season that we had. Um, but then we're starting to reflect, starting to put things into perspective and, you know, uh, the perspective and it should be an enjoyable journey uh, looking back at how the season has gone. So f- to put guys in a position to start a to start a playoff game who played next pro, who didn't play a MLS season yet. I mean, this should be a wonderful moment for the club just to see the growth. And uh, it's everything we embody, you know, on and off the field. And yeah, to see it come to fruition is, is extremely humbling and uh, but we've been given a platform. We've been given a standard, um, n- never mind just the facility that we work at, but also the history and the culture that St. Louis have set, just in terms of sporting success and culture, soccer success and culture. It's amazing how this organization just does everything right, on and off the pitch, right? He's, yes. He says the right things. He coaches the right way. The stadium is incredible. The ownership is incredible. Their involvement. I was talking to... Uh, somebody who was actually at the match on Sunday in Kansas City, and there's ownership, Carolyn Kindle and her mom leading cheers for the crowds. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was just, it's a remarkable organization. I remember when Carolyn Kindle was actually, when she went to the Board of Aldermen, when they were pitching the idea of bringing MLS here to St. Louis, and the fact that Carolyn Kindle was there, willing to answer every single question that the public and the aldermen had available, a lot of questions about well, what will this look like? Is you know, how does this fit into St. Louis and the worry? Because remember, Randy, you you remember that time? There was some worry about are we going to have another situation where you know the city is going to have to pay for a lot mm-hmm. of the stadium and all that stuff? And the fact that it's funded here in St. Louis and by that ownership group says a lot about her commitment to really helping St. Louis. But the fact that she was there willing to speak and answer so many questions and she's been doing that, the way that they have just really Mm -hmm. built this up and with what they were talking about building the community. That was another big part of making sure that they do that, continue to build up soccer here in St. Louis. One of my favorite moments from this season was Miggy. And seeing mm-hmm. a St. Louis high school student who was out, he was still finishing out in high school right, over yeah, in Pattonville, Pattonville to already make an impact. That was something to see that happen so quickly. It was just a huge moment and makes you so excited for the future. Pretty cool. It's going to be fun. So congratulations to SC. And uh, as they reflect, yeah, it'll, it'll wind up all being positive. Exactly. We're going to head down the stretch with rock and roll next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Looking at ESPN right now, and ESPN Analytics says that the Steelers have a 45% chance to make the playoffs. I wonder how they come up with that number. (laughs) Analytics, baby. Yeah. Analytics say to go for it on fourth and four. On your own 40. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Makes sense. Yep. Fourth and four, it says? Really? On your own 40. Yep. I feel like fourth and two would say that. Fourth and four, I feel like it's going to be a pretty What happens when you fail on the fourth and two then? What's the percentage of giving up a score? What was your play call? What difference does it make? Well, who that makes a lot of freaking differences. Who are your players? That <laughs> yeah. also that makes a lot of differences, too. If I'm, yeah. QB. If, I'm the, if I'm the Eagles, 
I'm I'm I'm, I'm going for it on fourth and two. two yards. Not push, tush, tush, <laughs> push. <laughs> tush, push. Brotherly I'm making things happen. Two I like brotherly shove better. No, I like tush, push. Well, yeah. but it's the, I like it's both. The, but tush push is for anybody that's not the Eagles. Yeah, if it's the Eagles, it's got to be the brotherly it, shove. It, if it started in Philadelphia, you call it by that name, the brotherly shove. You're damn right. Well, okay. But yeah. I like it when well, I like everywhere. It's, the tushy pushy. But it's not the no. Philly. No. There you go. It's not no, the, no, no, but no, it's no, not no, the no, Philly no. special it's if you cute. run it elsewhere. It is cute. It's yeah, cute. It is. It's a very oh, intimate it moment. So no, it's a cute name. CD's so disappointed in me right now. Philly didn't invent throwing a lateral to a, a wide that's receiver who throws it to a quarterback. It. That's what oh, they call so it. I gotta call it the Philly special anytime I do that. When you call it the Philly special, Philly what happens? Special. You know what happens. Touchdown. There you go. <laughs> Foles catches it. You know what Not every you time. know what takes place. You call Unbelievable. it. Unbelievable. There you go. Speaking of 90, analytics. 90, flip, 90 flip was one of my all-time favorite. 90 players. Flip. Yeah. Speaking of analytics, uh, there's one uh, man, there's one executive out there who's not happy <laughs> that you're calling him an analytical guy. How dare you, Brian Cashman of the New York Yankees, uh, yesterday? Well, first and foremost, on the anal- uh, I want to make sure you know, and I think it's been put out there. So people talk about we're analytically driven, right? <laughs> Do you know we're the sec, uh, the the least large? We have the smallest analytics department in the American League East, except for Baltimore. Is that a shocker to you guys? We have the largest pro scouting department in all of baseball. Is that a shocker to you, uh, uh-huh. to everybody? Nice. Shouldn't be. But no one's doing their deep dives. They're just throwing ammunition and and and, and bullshit oh, yeah. and uh, accusing us of being run analytically. Analytics is an important spoke in our wheel, so but are it, you so proud? it should be in everybody's wheel, and it really is is an important spoke in every operation that's having success. Why are you so proud of having such a small one then? I don't know if that's a flex. <laughs> I don't think it's weird. When I you said our scouting department is the biggest, that's a flex. Hey, that, yeah, was the, that was more of a flex. Hey, hell, you talking about? <laughs> but how are you going to be like, we huh? have the second smallest in our division? And it's a very important part. you got to have a good one if you're going to want to win. He said smallest, right? Yeah, he said smallest, but you, like, yeah, as you correctly a, pointed well, out, it's it, the second it's, smallest. And, you know, that's cool. But yeah, I, I think analytics do serve their purpose, but to be completely analytically driven. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 so here's the thing. I, computers are wonderful. You know, numbers are perfect. They're, everything is great. I, I own a Tesla, right? Yes. Teslas drive themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy, would you trust your Tesla to drive itself if you were approaching a cliff? No chance. The, the analytics say it's supposed to turn, right? The, the computer mm-hmm. is going to turn. But are you going to trust it or are you going to grab the damn steering wheel and turn it? I'm going to turn it. I am too. So if it, analytics are okay. To a degree. But if you're freaking about to fall off a cliff, grab the damn steering wheel and turn the damn car. There was, That's all I got to say. Speaking of analytics, I didn't, I, I didn't pull the clip because I, <laughs> I knew Randy wasn't going to like it. But our, our best friend on this show, Taylor Twelman, was on a <laughs> balloon party yesterday. What was he doing on their show? He always comes on our show. <laughs> Why is he yeah. not? He, he, him and Tim Bontemps are having a, a cigar <laughs> and yeah. a scotch. Well, yesterday, him and Tim McKernan <laughs> Discussing. were having a nice conversation. You guys are mean. Um, well, somebody else and do. Taylor, and others. Taylor brought up that, that City outscored their XG oh. by a bike. Oh. <laughs> Because the expected goals are much what more matters. important. Those yeah. are my favorite. Okay, never mind. I thought I was going to get deeper into this explanation of what he said than me what just saying the phrase XG. But no, Go ahead. no. But, he, but he, pretty much he was saying he wouldn't be shocked if next year City isn't as good and are a little bit closer to what you would expect from them based what, on their XGs. What was, what was KC's XG? Uh, I can find that for was you. Was it greater or lower than City? 
I just think it's fun because you just make it up if you want. Whatever, right? whatever you want. Uh, yeah, you I know. Just I'm just up. kidding, but do. I just no, want. You do. Is that what do you uh, say? Um, city, for first um, game. St. Louis yeah, was 16 I don't know. above. Why don't you just say just like, like yeah? St. Louis was 16 above their XG. Ooh. Kansas City ended seven above their XG. Ooh. So we should have. So well, what, clearly they they got to replay the game. Well, Kansas City also allowed six more than their XG says they should have allowed. So it's a combination of both things. You got to play the game over because if they expect the goal number doesn't not. What Taylor match, was saying, we 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 got cheated. That's not what he wasn't talking cheated. about. The match, we got cheated. He <laughs> was <laughs> talking about the whole scope of the I would, season. We got I, would, cheated. I would go to the post game and it's be like, "Do you see this stat? We were expected to have this many goals. It didn't work we, out. We this cheated. isn't fair. Oh Someone cheated us, and but, we got to hit the reset button on the game." Peace. <laughs> I don't even know how to read this person's name on the YouTube chat. Peace Simmon uh, says XG is the worst stat in sports. Okay, here's my thing. Do, we all agree that like oh, like dangerous slot like slot chances dangerous slot chances are like a good stat in hockey. Can we agree that Who's that's a good goalie? stat in hockey? I'm just saying you, do I, you don't do know the goalie. Goalie. Hey, no, 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 no. Dangerous like dangerous slot chances. Like I think we could all agree that that's a good indicator of offense in the National you, Hockey for, League. For which so, team? For any okay, team. So look at that okay, number. So, How many times have the Blues had, had They've those? had a lot more than they've scored, which okay, is why so, we've had J.K. So and Jamie matter. say oh, okay. regression so, towards the mean. Matthew, can we... <laughs> I, I want to lay some groundwork here. Let's do it. Okay. Do we, uh, do we know who's in the crease to provide this dangerous chance? No. Is it Robert Car- Bortuzzo or Wayne Gretzky? Or is it Kerry Ooh. Davis? Because the is number it, changes. It's probably not Kerry Davis. It's probably not. The name, the number is... Different in the actuality between Robert Bertuzzo and Wayne Gretzky. So is it all apples to apples then? No, but it's about getting the opportunity. It's not about who finishes it. It's about can your team consistently put the puck in that spot? Because if you put the puck in that spot, you're going to score more often than not. Is the point of dangerous, uh, is the point of slot chances that everywhere you look in the NHL, across thousands of games and and dozens of seasons, it breaks that way. To Randy's point, who's in the slot matters more than actually being in the slot individually yes no, okay. in the game yes but we're not talking about an individual game no, Taylor no, no, wasn't talking about the game we're talking about Taylor wasn't Taylor wasn't not the game I love we're talking about practice again practice man no one's it's not about one game it's about a whole season that's why, again, the Blues people we've had on this week are, are talking about they're not finishing the chances that you expect them to. That's why you expect the offense to get better over the year. Because Taylor's the person, point. The person Taylor's that is going point, to shoot it is going to be a better no, because person than you it now. should finish. You every NHL player finishes okay. those chances not at a higher rate <laughs> so, than other chances. Are you telling me that the Blues actually lost Game Seven against Dallas? Not yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, Did again, you're know? focusing on one game. XG isn't good for one game. Slot chances isn't good if you only look you at one stop, game. I'm talking about a full the, uh, season scope yeah, you, here. You could have just stopped after isn't good. <laughs> you're, so, okay, okay, again. So the stipulation now by the three hosts <laughs> here is that slot chances are not a good stat for the NHL. Is I, I analytics are as good as is, How is that an analytic? Paper. It's a stat. Okay, so... One statistic, you've got Alex Ovechkin <laughs> in the slot against Chris Osgood. The other one, you have, let's just pick somebody random here. Um, let's say it's Carl Gunnarsson <laughs> against Martin Brodeur. Are you saying that that's the exact same thing? No, but it's not about who's taking the shot. Again, Why slot chances. Why that matter? Because... You're going to have your entire roster so, is going to be taking that shot. The point is, how many times do you get people on your roster that shot? If you get it more often than not, you will score more often than if you don't. Not if it's the Flat person out. that can't make the shot. 
that's make not, getting the opportunity. Your best players are going to get more shots than your worst players. If you get them more Hope shots so. in better, Is no, it? no, there's not. Hopefully, every team's bet on the, in the NHL their roster. Mm-hmm. The better players get more shots. So, do you place more value on? Actual goals that are scored or expected goals that are scored? When I'm projecting eight months in the forward, I look at both. But, I mean, would, would you rather win a game? I'd rather win the individual game with real goals. Okay, thank you. But that's We're not talking <laughs> oh about God. one game, though. Okay, so over the course we of 82 games, games, would you rather lose games with expected goals I'd or rather win, win them with, with real goals. goals? But I can acknowledge if say, my team isn't getting the chances that they need to get to consistently but, 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 win that way. Okay. Uh, hmm. The the bozo guy at the athletic. Um, what's his name? <laughs> Which uh, one? The the numbers guy. Uh, There's a lot of them. Uh, yeah, the hockey numbers guy, not Lars Newtbar. Well, Dom Lecision. Dom Lecision. Oh, uh, he Dom hated yes. the Blues in 2019 because of his analytics. Guess who won the Stanley Cup? <laughs> the Blues. Thank you. Oh, I'm saying. Beautiful. Does that matter? Does yeah, winning matter? So slot winning, chances winning don't matter. matter. It Does should, winning matter? It should. I always go back, and I hated this. Uh, I think it was in Texas where the Cardinals lost a game, I think 3-1. to one, And Ollie said after the game, he said, oh, you go back, though, and you look at the quality of at-bats. <laughs> Even they would rather have our at-bats. No, they wouldn't. No. <laughs> they would rather win no, the game. No, they'd rather win the game. They're, they're, happy, they're happy with what they I'd got. I'd rather have a bunt single yeah. and three wild pitches and a guy <laughs> score one to nothing than have eight good cuts at the plate and lose by one. That's just me, though. <laughs> you play to win the game. All right. Thank you, Matthew. That's our producer in Oh, fun times. You can say pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> really? I don't, I, we, have to get out. Oh, we do have to. Oh, oh, excuse excuse me. We are late. Yeah. How about I'm that? How about that? CD. Look your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? I'm not seeing McKernan and yeah. A. Uh, they, they're, uh, they're, they're afraid to come in. Okay, they good. Here about 10 uh, they, they, they do have a balloon party coming up. <laughs> we, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for, for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great hump day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.